Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Well, 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 we've reached the Thursday edition of the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there, we got a lot to discuss. Obviously, last night's game one, Jimmy Butler is the talk. Every time Jimmy Butler has a big game, revisionist history seems to come into play. But you know me, I like facts a little more than just irrational people. So I did a little digging, and the irrational people, you're going to have to take a step back today. All right? We'll dive into that coming up. Paul Hudrick at three. Little Phil's mailbag today. They have the day off. They got swept out in San Francisco. Frank Close will join us at 245. Also, got some thoughts on the Lakers in Denver tonight. But I do want to look at this Jimmy Butler stuff. He had another great game last night. Look, Butler has been awesome in these playoffs. But how quickly we are able to forget things when we have a thought in our mind and we want our thought to be so right. So we, instead of checking actual facts in history, we just go, Jimmy Butler was here. How did we let this guy go? How did we do that? And it's funny because at the time, like if the Sixers would have kept Jimmy Butler. We're anticipating that this team may have won a championship by now. But how quickly we forget that while Jimmy Butler, let me preface this by saying this, okay? Jimmy Butler is probably one of my top five players in, in, in the entire game. I went to the game. He was playing for the Bulls. The Sixers were in their process. And the Sixers are up by like 20 on the Bulls this night. And Butler just absolutely refused to let the Bulls lose that game. He goes to like 53, brings the Bulls all the way back, and beats the process Sixers in overtime. All right? So I want to quantify this by telling you guys, Jimmy Butler is probably one of my top five players in basketball. Like, so I don't have any dislike towards Jimmy Butler. The dude is awesome. I love his competitiveness. I think he is a tremendous player. I will, just because I like Jimmy Butler, doesn't mean I can't be critical of Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, to me, was a disappointment in Philadelphia. When they got Jimmy Butler, I thought it was the best thing ever. They got this guy who's going to take them. He's got the attitude. And in the series against Toronto... Jimmy Butler let the Sixers down, right? We always want to talk about, well, Joel Embiid came up small and Harden came up small. Jimmy Butler would have been here. He would have led this team. Jimmy Butler was here. And you know what he did? 
Nothing different than any other Sixers star has done. He came up small in Game 7 against Toronto. How quickly we forget he was 1 for 6 from 3-point range. He was 5 of 14 in that game. He scored 16 measly points. If I got the Jimmy Butler that the Heat have right now, yeah, the Sixer team may have won a championship in 2019. But the Jimmy Butler we got was the one that everybody complains about everybody else. Came up small in the big game. You know, you remember, and I don't remember the exact situation, but I kind of remember Butler, did he get like a five-second violation or something to that effect in that game? He had just a bad game seven. He did not play well in game seven. So we act like, you know, hey, this Jimmy Butler, if we would have had this guy, we did have this guy. We had Jimmy Butler. He was here, and he wasn't good in the playoffs. In that series against Toronto, in the four games the Sixers lost in that series, they lost in seven games. They won three. They lost four. In the Sixers' losses against Toronto in that series, Jimmy Butler wasn't some Superman. In fact, he was pedestrian. He shot 22% from three-point range. He had 77 total points in the four games. Not good. And in some bad possessions. So we go back to that time and say, how did we let Jimmy Butler go? And keep in mind what was going on at that time. He didn't want to play with Ben Simmons. We've talked about this a lot. Ben was a young player. He was 22 years old, and Jimmy Butler was 30. How many people are going to make a decision that they're going to keep the 30-year-old guy over the 22-year-old all-star player? Not very many. Not to mention, Butler was coming off a subpar playoff series where they got eliminated. That being said, I came across this poll. So don't act like it's me that's like, oh, Jimmy Butler, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. I came across this poll today, and this is from Michael Kasky Blomain, who was on the show yesterday. He covers the Sixers in the NBA nationally, okay? But he, he covers the Sixers. His question on Twitter was this. If the Sixers could only keep one player moving forward, who would you rather keep? And this poll was conducted on March 1st, 2019. The two options were Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, okay? Vote in the poll. Who would you rather keep? What do you think the percentages were, Josh? Give me, I don't know that you saw this. So I, I found this. I don't know if you clicked on the link. I did not see, I did not see this personally. But I'm assuming because of the way you're framing it, it's not going to go the way I would think it would go. Well, I mean, listen, the question Michael Caskey Blomain asked at the time, it was March 1st, 2019, so right after the Sixers lost, if the Sixers could only keep one player moving forward, who would you rather keep, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris? 3,000 votes. What do you think the percentages were? I mean, my assumption based on everybody that I've run into and talked to is it would be Jimmy Butler. 75%. Jimmy Butler, 75% is what you think. Doesn't mean I'm right. Just see what I would think. Not only are you not right, you are astronomically off base. I figured that much considering the way you were presenting it. <laughs> the voting wasn't even close. Okay? The voting wasn't even close. And you said 75%? How about 
3,000 votes. Do you know what the percentage was of how many people rather keep Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler? 91% rather keep Tobias Harris on March 1st, 2019. 8% wanted to keep Jimmy Butler. So I don't know where this whole like, oh my God, they got rid of Jimmy Butler. Look what he's doing right now. Because 91% of you wanted to keep Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. I will defend people and say that that 3,000 people who voted may be none of the people who've been saying for the last few years. Because, you know, it's like anything in Poland. Well, you can find 3,000. Anybody you, over the last few years. 3,000 people is a pretty big sample size of people. 91. It's not like it was 48. 52. This was 91%. These are Sixer fans. These aren't just random Joes. These are Sixers fans. I don't know if they're bots or not. Now you're trying to get... I mean, Michael Caskey-Blomain is a well-respected guy who covers the Sixers. But we're we're relying on a Twitter poll for a reflection of a fan base. I have never met a person who said, you know what, I thought they should have kept Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. I don't remember, to be honest with you. It was such a weird situation. But MKB is a guy who covers the NBA and covers the Sixers. Most of his followers are going to be Sixers fans. I think at the time, 2019, correct me if I'm wrong, he might have been working for us. I think he might have been working for us at the time. So his followers are Sixers fans. Sure. His followers are Sixers fans. So I have to make an assumption that Sixers fans were voting in his poll. 3,000 people. That's a pretty big sample size of people who would have voted for that very question. He has 13,000 followers. He had 3,000 voters. I would imagine most of those voters are Sixers fans. So I'm not going to sit here and, and break down who these people are. He's a basketball writer who covers the Sixers. The question was pretty Sixers slanted. Who would you rather keep, Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris? 91%. 91. It's not even close. It's not even close what the people said at that time in 2019. And now it's easy to go back and say, well, Jimmy Butler, look at what he's doing right now. Back then, I don't think people thought Jimmy Butler was going to be this Jimmy Butler. Because if he did, it wouldn't be 91%. 91% is pretty telling, don't you think? Do you not hear 91% and say, holy mackerel, like, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty... <laughs> I mean, it's crystal clear. Tobias Harris, 91% of the people voted for Tobias Harris. I just don't trust Twitter polls. I, I think that we we are relying on such a small fraction of, of a of a group of people to reflect an entire fan base. If you if I went to a Sixers game in 2019 and polled the 20,000 people in the building, I got a feeling I'm going to get a different answer than that poll gave. Well, I, I'm imagining, again, these are Sixers fans. I can't imagine some random Bucks fan was like, hey, let me vote on the Sixers poll. If you're voting on the poll, you're probably a Sixers fan. So 3,000 of them, I think, is a pretty solid number of people to take a poll I would love to meet these 3,000 people. I would like to meet them, too. And I'm sure if you voted for Tobias Harris in 2019 in that poll, you're probably not admitting it today. Well, it's because then you're a wimp. Well, my point is really this. People are like, (laughs) so what are you looking at here? Jimmy Butler at that time, look. He's awesome right now. And like I said, he's one of my five favorite players in the game. I love Butler. That being said, I was extremely disappointed with his tenure in Philadelphia. I don't think that the Jimmy Butler we're seeing now was the one we got. We didn't get this Jimmy Butler. 
He right. failed them in Game 7. He came up small in Game 7. He had multiple chances in that series. To, they lost in four games. The four games they lost, he shot 22% from the field uh, from three-point range. He's not anywhere close to this Jimmy Butler right now. He's significantly better. Now, on the flip side of things, well, they chose Ben Simmons over Jimmy Butler. Because the Jimmy, the Ben Simmons back there, you were saying, this guy's 22 years old. He's an all-star. He's going to get better and better and better. You would think if Jimmy Butler struggled in this series, he's 30 years old. He might get worse and worse and worse. Well, the exact opposite happened. Butler got better and better and better. And Simmons got worse and worse and worse. So before we say we had Jimmy Butler, why did they do that? It seems at the time many people were on board with them doing that for whatever reason. Jimmy Butler came up small in the playoffs. They wanted to keep Ben Simmons because, look, there is that notion of when you draft a player, he's your guy, the homegrown talent. He's our guy. And I think people wanted Ben Simmons at that time, 2019. I think people wanted Ben Simmons to be the guy. Three years later, we find out he's not the guy. Now, three years later, we find out Jimmy Butler. The question has always been with Butler. Is he good enough to be the best player on the team that wins a championship? And up to this point, people, guess what? Jimmy Butler has failed over and over and over again in the playoffs. We're like, oh, this Jimmy Butler, he's great. He failed here. He failed with Chicago. He failed with Minnesota. Right? Minnesota had to get rid of him because they kept losing. So that's not like act like Jimmy Butler was like, well, look, Minnesota, he wanted to get out of Minnesota. He didn't get along with the Carl Anthony Towns. Right. But the narrative was always he can't get along with people. And then we're like, well, is it he that can't get along with people or people don't have the intensity that he does? But he was in Chicago. They didn't win. He got traded to Minnesota. They didn't win. He got traded to Philadelphia. They basically didn't win because he, I don't want to say it was Jimmy Butler's fault, but he didn't play well in game seven. Does anybody remember game seven? You mean against the Raptors? Yes. Yeah. He was only here for one series. All right, well, one year. One year, right. They won the first series. They lost the second series. In the game that they lost, Jimmy Butler was not very good. Whole team wasn't good, though. You could argue. Well, and they, and they still had a chance to win the game. Well, the narrative now is Jimmy Butler's making everybody raising their level. He's bringing everybody's level up. Well, then maybe the question that we should be asking is not about Jimmy Butler, but why is it that Jimmy Butler is successful in Miami like this and he wasn't this successful here? Is maybe the problem the culture here in Philadelphia? Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because a buddy of mine texted me this morning and brought up that very notion which was Jimmy Butler. Oh, my God, we had this guy. And I'm like, look, I love Butler, but I can't just blindly be like, how did we miss Butler? You know, you know, Butler is the best clutch player. And I said, yeah. And when he was here, he came up small. The Jimmy Butler that we have is not the Jimmy Butler that was here. The, the one that's happening right now. We didn't have that guy. And... He could have been the difference against Toronto. He could have. He wasn't. He was pedestrian. And the response I got, why do you think that is? Right? And his response is, I'll tell you why. Coaching. Eric Spolstra. 
And I said, exactly. That's where I think coaching matters. As I've always said, the coach sets the culture. The teams take on their personality. And that is where I think Jimmy Butler here, Brett Brown didn't get enough out of Jimmy Butler. It wasn't that Brett Brown coached a bad game. I just don't think Jimmy Butler, uh, Brett Brown got the most out of the Jimmy Butler when he was here. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why did he, you know, why did he, he's, look, he's always been this competitive chip on the shoulder guy. It has to do with him being at Marquette and being drafted. I think he was like the last pick of the first round or something to that effect. So Jimmy's always had that little chip on the shoulder. But I think Eric Spolstra, this is where the coach excels in those off days. Getting the competitiveness and getting more from Jimmy Butler, a guy who is really not the best player on the best team. He's the most competitive guy. But right now, he's turning into the player that you are starting to ask yourself, can you really say that Jimmy Butler could be the best player on the best team? Holy mackerel, what an evolution. Look, what we're watching right now is more of an evolution than what he was. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching the game last night, and of course, everybody on social media is going crazy. Every time Jimmy Butler has a big game, it's like this revisionist history that the Sixers made this huge mistake. Well, Jimmy Butler was here, and he failed us. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't the, he was here in game seven, and in game seven against the Raptors, he was not very good. So it's easy to watch these games now. How about this? Last night, Jason Tatum, where was he in the fourth quarter? I didn't see flamethrower 51-point guy. I saw a guy that looked like the moment was too big for him. He didn't score in the fourth quarter. He had six points. He had six free throws. He didn't score. He had no shots. Jason Tatum couldn't miss. He was fearful of nothing in game seven. (laughs) In game one, he comes out, and this is what we're talking about from game to game. You just don't know what you're getting from these guys, man. Yeah, then Missoula goes and throws his guys under the bus, and it makes you think. Makes you think that, listen, they lost game one against the Sixers. They came back and won that series. It makes you think one of the things I think they talked about on Inside the NBA last night that Shaq brought up, he said the problem with this team for him is that they're too up and down. Right. That Miami, though, you know what you're getting. You always know what you're getting. You always kind of know what you get. Look. You could have a night where Miami comes out and just doesn't shoot well. Sure. That's been their whole MO all season, though. They were not a good shooting team all year. Now, all of a sudden, it's like a team full of Reggie Millers out there. I don't know. Like, Jimmy Butler, again, if I'm picking, like, my five favorite players in the game, Butler's definitely on that list. Love Butler, but I have no problem saying, hey, a guy that I'm a fan of, wasn't as what I hoped. When he came to Philadelphia, Jimmy Butler was not what I hoped. When they made that trade, I remember being so excited. You know, I I said I I watched Butler play that game in Philly when he scored 53. And at that night, when he scored 53, I was in the building. I said, my gosh, this guy is just, he's so competitive. It was so cool watching him compete and take himself and just say, I'm refusing. The Sixers are in the process, okay? They're horrible. And he's saying, I'm refusing to let my team lose to this freaking dump of a team over here. I don't care if you guys want to jump on my back or not, but I'm carrying you. And on that night, I was like, dude, Butler, to me, gained my respect. He's on another level for me. 
And then when the Sixers make the trade to get him a couple years later, I'm like, dude, they got this, dude. This is exactly what they needed. And I got to be honest, the Jimmy Butler era in Philly was kind of fell flat. Is that his fault? Do you blame Brett Brown? Do you blame somebody else? I don't know what it is, but I think that Butler was disappointing. So here we are as Sixers fans going out and praising this guy like, how did we let this guy go? No, he let us down. He let me down. Still one of my favorite players, but for that time, I'm not praising Jimmy Butler. He disappointed me. I I see people say, you know, Jimmy Butler is a playoff performer. Joel Embiid is not. Hey, Joel Embiid in Game 7 against the Hawks scored 30-plus points. He came to play. The rest of the team didn't. But in Jimmy Butler, when he had a chance to have a big moment, now you can say, well, Embiid didn't play well in that game. All right, but guess what? We're praising Jimmy Butler. We're, we're all acknowledging that apparently Embiid isn't ready for the moment. But Butler is? Well, not at that time he wasn't. Last night, that Butler, he was ready for the moment, and he's been ready for a lot of moments in this postseason. We have seen Jimmy Butler take his game to another level. His time in Miami... He has taken his game to another level. And that's why I go back to the question I asked you earlier. And I don't even know if we have the right answer for this question. But I have to wonder, is the problem here in Philadelphia the culture? Not just the head coach, the entire entity. Because guess what? The Miami Heat have been to the NBA Finals with three different types of teams in the last 23 years. And there's one common factor. It's Pat Riley at the top of that organization. Well, and I was having a conversation today about this. You know, here's the thing. I think we talk about the coach. I think Spolstra, Miami, the whole heat culture thing. They obviously have a winning culture down there. Yes. But I'm not and I'm not taking anything away from them. Look, Butler got there. They've been to what? The finals and two conferences, the third. This is a third conference finals. In a row, right. Three in the last four years he's been there. So Butler goes down there, and I don't know, just (laughs) – it sounds so bizarre to say just jumping into that uniform and into that organization, but I definitely think there's something to be said for that because, okay, there's a lot of people who really – and I don't have a problem with this. I don't, I'm not sitting here standing up for the Sixers culture. I don't know what it, I think there are problems behind the scenes for the Sixers. They've had so many coaching turnovers, so many GM turnovers. I'm not defending the Sixers culture, but what I have said is this. Just because they lost for a couple of years to get good players, right? There's a lot of teams that have done that. Absolutely. The Spurs lost. They got Tim Duncan. Just because they lost to get Tim Duncan, they didn't have a losing culture. If you're a winning player, you're a winning player. Right. Regardless of what situation you go into. And I asked the question about the Sixers and their culture, okay? Here was my question before. If you're someone who thinks the Sixers have a losing culture, okay, this team will never win. They have a losing culture. My question really was this, okay? The culture that they had previously, what was that? The Sixers? You mean? What was the culture that they had that they walked away from? Did you mean they when when the new ownership? Let's came just in. say from two thousand two post finals. Okay, post finals, right? 
post-finals to 2013, which is when Hinky got hired. What was the culture then that everybody is like, they are a losing culture? What did I miss about the culture that they had previously? Was there something that was so good that they walked away from? Did I miss that? Did they make good personnel decisions? Did they have this great winning culture? Maybe I missed it. But people talk about the Sixers like they had this losing culture because of what they did. I don't remember them ever having a great culture. Did I miss their culture? I would argue ever since Larry Brown left, the culture of this organization has been a questionable mess. In different, just different iterations of questions. It, it's never been the same question. Like, though. were the Sixers ever a well-run organization? Were the Sixers uh, a team that had a good culture? Were the Sixers a franchise that had a lot of winning? Did, were they known for making smart personnel decisions? From 2002, really from 1984 to 2013, they had one year. You know how they got good for one year? They were the worst team in the league, and they got Allen Iverson. When you're the worst team in the league and you get a player of that magnitude, that's the whole point. That player is supposed to elevate the franchise because he's so good. And that's what happened. The only time they've ever had a team that was any good is because they were so bad that they got a player that was able to get them there. So, again, from 1984 to 2013, I'm trying to establish – what the culture of the Sixers was that everybody who hated what they did and says they're a bad culture and they're poorly run, what were they doing before that makes you say, I would rather stick with what they were doing before? Well, the problem is the people who compl- – not everyone because I don't, I don't want to be you know a, a universal you know blamer of people, but there's a lot of people, I'll say it that way, who look at – the process and same and they or whatever term they want to use and they say like you said losing culture loser mentality the problem is they have no solution to the problem well, exactly. they just want to complain That's what I said listen whatever they were doing before it wasn't working right they were perpetually stuck in middle fine how do i change that whatever they kept trying to do wasn't working so they tried something very drastic okay so they haven't got out of the second round but some people are saying, I'm willing to accept mediocrity and right. continue on that path rather than trying something drastic. So those people are the kind of person that says, hey, I have a great business idea, but I don't want to spend money to make money. So I have this great idea, but I'm just going to sit on it. There are other people out there that say, I'm going to put my last penny. Everything I've ever saved is going on this idea. And it may work and it may not. And the Sixers were the team that said, I'm putting my life savings in the middle here, and I'm doing something different. Because what I've been doing, it ain't working. Now, just because it hasn't had the result we all wanted, I got to commend them for taking that shot. I have to commend them for saying, I will no longer accept what we've been from 1984 to 2012. And the key is, remember that the people who weren't willing to take the shot are probably the people who are complaining about the person who was willing to take the shot. Of course they are, because they voted for Tobias Harris to stay here <laughs> over Jimmy Butler, and now they're complaining that they let Jimmy Butler walk. I need to know who these three Well, this guy just are. texted in. I'm a guy who voted for Tobias in that poll. 
Because looking back, a lot of Sixer fans, including me, thought very highly of Tobias coming off that season at age 26. And unless I'm wrong, I thought Jimmy wanted to go to Miami. So why is he getting spinned as if it's the Sixers' fault? He wanted to go there. We'll address that and more coming up on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Late. 246 on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Little Phil's swept out in San Francisco while you were sleeping. They have the night off. They're back. And so is Frank's mailbag. You know, Frank usually here on Tuesdays, but Doc Rivers got fired on Tuesday, so Frank got fired on Tuesday. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. But he's back with a Thursday look at the Phil's as uh, they head back from San Francisco and a lot going on there. What's going on, Frank? Not much, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, Phil's got to give us uh, something, man. They're the only game in town 40 games in, and it seems that this team has kind of come to terms with we need to start playing better. So give us a little thoughts from you, overview, 40 games. What are some of the issues that you're seeing with this team? Well, right now it's just absolutely mind-boggling how the Phillies are not hitting with runners in scoring position. If you look at their offensive stats and all the different categories, hits, batting average, uh, et cetera, et cetera, they're up there. They're they're in the top top five or six, maybe even fourth in some of those categories. But yet they are not hitting when runners are in scoring position. And it, it just makes absolutely no sense. Is this one of those things where the law of averages will eventually level out? Mm-hmm. Or is there something inherently wrong with these batters that when – I guess the, the lights are on and it's time to come up with a big hit that they can't. I, I can't imagine. I mean, a lot of these guys were around last year when they did come up big in the big moments. But uh, I would imagine a guy like a Trey Turner has been somewhat disappointing so far that there's got to be a, a hot streak coming from him. Now, the concern would be a guy like Nick Castellanos. He's been hot. When is he going to cool off? you got Brandon Marsh starting to cool off right now from a hot start. Uh, Boom got off to a good start. He's kind of like leveled back to the mean a little bit, I guess, if you will. So it just seems that the offense hasn't kind of found itself yet, the, the lineup. Yeah, and, and of course, Bryce Harper's finally part of it, and he's hitting, <laughs> you know. So, again, it's it's bewildering that they're not coming up with the big hits. I mean, you got to hope that, that they will get to it. Now, Kyle Schwarber, of course, a historically slow starter, and around this time of year he usually starts heating up, so – I know last year all the talk was about make June every month for Kyle Schwarber and, and, and he'll do, he'll do fantastically. So we know he likes the warm weather. You got to think that'll, that'll get together. I, I get to in the beginning losing Reese Hoskins right off the bat, or really right before you come up to bat, come up to Philadelphia. That was kind of a shock to the system and they had to kind of find themselves from, from there. And then Derek Cole supposed to be the guy that comes in and steps in. Then he ends up going down. And then, you know, I think what you're seeing even with the likes of, of Edmundo Sosa, you know, a guy like that, really effective as a bench player. But if you play him too much, he gets a little overexposed. So I think that's part of the equation here. But you, you got to think that that this will work itself out. You got to think that they'll, they'll start being comfortable and having well, let, some Let's bring that up, right, because they, they got to play Cody Clemens at first a lot because Sosa is playing too much. How long can they continue to roll – 
with Cody Clements and Sosa's and, and that level of player. I know it's like you can't have an all-star in every position, but those guys, Sosa I like as a utility guy playing a little bit, but if you play him too much, you see what happens. The result of not playing him means you got to play a Cody Clements, and he seems like, you know, he's just a, a 4A type of player. Is Derek Hall what they're waiting for, or do you have to be a little proactive? Because, quite frankly, I'm a little concerned the injury that Hall had, I think it's a tough one for a power hitter to deal with. Yeah, you know, Hall will probably be back within the month, if not sooner. So the, I know the timetable on him was sort of maybe the second week of, of June, perhaps. So if he's back, I mean, you got to hope that he can, can give them a little bit of a spark. But yeah, but right now, every single game, you have a bench player that has to start. And so, and of course, that even includes, you know, having uh, your, your less than... I, I, I don't want to disrespect them, but we know Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos aren't are stellar defensive players. Although they've they've held their own at times, you know that that that's a little weaker there too. Now I think it'll be helpful when Harper can move out of the DH position. We don't know when that is. He had the lightning fast return to the to the lineup. Uh, when will he play? Where will he play? I'm starting to see more and more people seem to be getting used to, to the idea of of Harper as a first baseman, not just this year, but maybe in the long term. So that's going to have to work itself out, and it will hopefully be before the season's end. But, uh, you know, we're getting to the point where the trade deadline is now a couple months out. That's usually when you can get outside pieces because still, let's face it, a lot of these teams that, that are probably the sellers, they're still in it at this moment, so they're not going to make a trade. And I think that's why uh, the second concern comes into play is starting pitching. They, they op- option barely falter to AAA, and they have no clear replacement. And then you get a really bad start from Taiwan Walker yesterday. Gets just two outs. And uh, what are they going to do? I think that's a big concern too. I don't know if there's anybody out there to trade, but they they really need some pitching reinforcements too. You can't. And it's not just that the you know Taiwan Walker has a bad day. It's you use the bullpen for eight and one third innings yesterday. So then, uh, well, excuse me, seven and a third. That's a lot of of guys that are now going to be worn out for. Uh, tomorrow. So luckily they had the day off, thankfully, yep. but yeah, and that's but th- in a th- loss. There's a trickle down effect. Right? Yeah. You, you use the bullpen and you didn't even win that game. So now you're coming off of a loss with a depleted bullpen. Let's go look at the falter thing a little more. Cause I talked about this two weeks ago. Anybody complain about falter? I get it. He stinks, but you're misguided in your anger. I mean, they don't have a replacement for falter. So yeah, falter's gone. But now what? I don't even, they don't even have a guy to start the game whenever Falter's next turn is. So they don't have anybody else. So Falter is just there. The problem, the, the, the anger should be, is misguided at Falter. It should be more at, at the Walkers, the Wheelers, and the Nolas. The lineup, not barely Falter. Yeah. I, I mean, Falter, I think you hoped he'd be better. He had a better stretch last year when Zach Wheeler went down towards the end. In fact, the Phillies, opted to keep him around in the rotation even ahead of Noah Syndergaard towards the end, if you remember that. So I, I think Falter Falter probably was was not an ideal person to take the ball every fifth day from the start. I think they hoped they'd have Andrew Painter around soon. Well, that fell apart. And, and let's be honest, they didn't really bring in a lot of depth. And, and part of that was there's just not a lot out there. The fact that Taiwan Walker got $18 million a year times four years, it just shows you how the pitching market looks right now. And so... Uh, it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard to replace him. And, and by the way, Nick Nelson, they were stretching him out to be a star, starter, and, and maybe he was going to resume uh, a, a spot, assume a spot in that starting rotation. Well, he 
he got injured again in his last start over the weekend, and, and he's not available for them now either. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Uh, you know, Christopher Sanchez has not pissed well, uh, pitched well either. In fact, he's been downright awful at AAA. Uh, real quick, uh, Alvarado, haven't heard a lot there. What do we know? Well, he, he started throwing again in San Francisco so he's he's I think he's scheduled to come off the the IL or at least he's eligible to come off the IL in about a week's time. Uh, he could be not far behind that if if he's thrown and all goes well. I mean, it was uh, elbow inflammation that they said was the the issue. If if that has kind of calmed down and and he's feeling good, uh, you know, he could be back soon. I will say, <laughs> had the starting rotation not been an issue, it kind of worked out nicely for the Phillies that they got. Matt Strom back in the bullpen right when when Alvarado was exiting and he he had that save last Sunday if you remember against Boston uh and then Andrew Bellotti came back so it seems like they they you know take one step forward and then two steps back in the starting pitching department so when when you get Alvarado back then maybe maybe the Phillies have to consider using Strom again as a starter uh, Frank Close, his mailbag is up at 973ESPN.com. Phil's off today. Cubs are in town. Uh, Ranger Suarez gets the opportunity, uh, for his second start coming up. Um, is it second or third start? Second start. Second start. I thought so. Right. Uh, he'll pitch tomorrow night against Marcus Stroman, I think is the starter, uh, for That's the correct. Cubs. Off the top of my head, Frank, I'm remembering <laughs> Suarez <laughs> Stroman. What a matchup at Citizens Bank Park. Frank, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Always good to talk to you, Mike. Yeah, man. Frank's back with the mailbag on Tuesday. Phils are back at home this weekend. And, of course, Frank Close will be here with another edition of Mailbag next week right here on the Sports Bash. Hey, it's Mike Gill with you till 6 tonight. We come back. We're going to talk little hoops, all the stuff that's going on around the Sixer team with my man Paul Hudrick. Of course, Paul from Liberty Ballers. He has five takeaways from yesterday's press conference. We'll get into that. Thoughts on the coaches. Thoughts on the Sixers organization. Where do they go from here? That's up next. This is the Sports Fast Live on 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Liberty Ballers editor Paul Hudrick joins me next with his five takeaways from yesterday's Daryl Morey Presser. Next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Just after three, Sports Bash taking it till six. The Sixers obviously making a lot of news over the last... 48 hours, 72 hours since that loss. Fire the coach, and now what? James Harden in the news, opting out. It looks like that's not a surprise. Looks like uh, James Harden may have got the coach fired. That's not a surprise. Paul Hudrick has five takeaways from yesterday's press conference. Daryl Morey, uh, you know, I'm, I like Morey, kind of a Morey fan for the most part. I did not think he uh, was very inspiring yesterday, Paul Hudrick. Uh, so we'll talk about some of the takeaways from that. I guess top of the list there, when you take a look at it, he said it was his decision to fire Doc Rivers. Are you buying that? Yeah, I think it ultimately has to be his decision because, you know, I don't think ownership was, you know, they had to pay Doc Rivers the next two years. He still had two years under his contract. Um, and for not a little bit of money for a head coach. So 
they're going to have to pay Doc Rivers and they're going to have to pay a new coach, speaking of ownership. So I don't think ownership was probably super eager to, to have Daryl Morey come to them and present them with it. And um, look, I, we've seen reporting come out, you know, that, that James Harden and Doc Rivers didn't get along and, and all that. Maybe that's a factor, but I don't think, you know, I, I can't imagine that's the thing because there's no guarantee that James Harden's here. So if you're making decisions based solely around what James Harden wants or what he doesn't like, um, that seems like a recipe for disaster. Uh, and I think too, Mike, I think you actually hit on it on, on the other day is it, the sense I'm getting is they see who's available. They see that, you know, Mike Budenholzer's out there, Monty Williams is out there, Nick Nurse, these really, really good coaches are out there who, quite frankly, I think those three names alone I just mentioned would all be upgrades over Doc Rivers. So with those names out there, this seems like an opportune time to go out there and look for a coach. Funny, it's like uh, coaching ring around the rosy here, right? I mean, you're going to get uh, Monty Williams to fill Budenholzer's job, Budenholzer to fill Doc's <laughs> job, Doc to fill Monty's job. Uh, what is the messaging that is going on, you know, in the NBA right now where – you know, there's all this stuff. The Sixers are one of only X amount of teams that make it to the second round, X amount of straight year. I mean, they've had, for not reaching the pinnacle, they have been one of the most successful franchises, as have the Suns, as have the Bucks, as have the Raptors. Like, what is going on right now where this level of coach is simply not good enough? Uh, surely, like, the, the player empowerment thing is, is a big part of this because, you know, it, it's – much easier to fire a head coach than it is to rebuild the roster. And if you're looking to make big changes after, you know, a, a big dramatic loss, like, I mean, kind of, the, the, let's just go through the names you kind of just mentioned. I mean, obviously, Doc Rivers, the way they went down in game seven and flamed out, something's got to change, right? Like, something has to change with the Sixers. Well, if you're planning to bring James Harden back and kind of run back the roster, you kind of have to get rid of the coach because you have to do something drastic, something different. Uh, Phoenix, same deal. I mean, they they also, I mean, granted, different circumstances, they literally were missing two starters, but a very embarrassing way for them to end their season. Um, and that was after last year when they lost to Dallas and got crushed um, in a Game 7 at home. Uh, Budenholzer, they're the number one seed. They lose to an eight seed. That, that never happened. So I, I just think, you know, it, it, you can't, the, the roster is so much harder to manipulate. It's so much harder to fix. So the the route that most people go is the coach. A lot of times you're right. Yes, they go to the coach because the players. And part of the problem with this team is something that Daryl said. I want to get your take on. You know, option A, scenario A, James comes back. Scenario B is he walks, but we think we have the tools to upgrade. You can't you, – they fire the coach because they can't do a lot with this roster. Do they have the tools to upgrade if James walks? I don't know what those tools are. I am really curious to know what they are because, I mean, they don't have draft capital. They literally don't have a pick this year. They don't have much going forward. They can't move their first rounder um, until, you know, either the day of the draft, obviously, or until 2029. They have no cap space. Um, even if James Harden walks, they can't just use that space. Uh, I mean, you have Tobias's, Tobias Harris's contract that you can move, but I don't know how much value is there. It's expiring, and it's a lot of money, and, and maybe you get – you figure – I mean, I'll say this with Maury. Say what you want about the guy. He is very creative. He finds ways. He, he kind of gets – he's been 
kind of always been able to escape out of jams. I mean, think about when he first got here, um, uh, you know, draft night. He flips Al Horford and Josh Richardson and brings in Danny Green and Seth Curry, and that roster's good enough to get the one seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, so I, I, he is creative. If anyone can do it, um, Dow Moore is a guy who can certainly find ways to manipulate money and find ways to manipulate roster spots and all that and do it. Um, but like I said, as I sit here, I don't see it. I don't see what those tools are, but I, I would be curious if he does walk. I really want to know what those tools are. <laughs> um, after hearing everything that has happened, hearing yesterday's press conference, reading some of the stuff, you know, hey, um, the, the, the assistant coaches, I guess, uh, your former guy over there, Jake Fisher, uh, now with Yahoo, reported that hey, the st- with if they're saying the staff feels that hard, and I would imagine Sam Cassell's probably not going to get this job, but hey, James Harden's the one that pushed him out the door here. With all of that, does this really show that Maury is doing everything he can to make a push to get Harden back here at a max deal? Well, if Mike D'Antoni is the next coach of your Philadelphia 76ers, then I would say yes. Um, it really does look like they're catering to Harden in a big way. And I'm not I'm not sure it's the way to go. Uh, like, like we talked about, I get that if Harden walks, you're not left with a lot of options. You're not left with an easy path to replace him. Like you can't just go out and get Bradley Beal or Zach Levine because you just don't have the assets to do that. If you did want to do that, you're, you're giving up a Tyrese Maxey, which doesn't feel like – a prudent move and doesn't really feel like that much of an upgrade um, to, to, to do. So uh, as of now, I, I I'm willing to give Maury like some benefit of the doubt because I think, I think it, it made sense to move on from doc rivers again, from the perspective I talked about with them getting crushing game seven with so many good options being open. So I think I give him the benefit of the doubt there, but if they hired Dan Tony, yeah, that, that's got me thinking that they're catering some stuff to James, and I, I don't know that that's the, the right call. Well, I was going to say, what's the message then to Joel Embiid? How does he react exactly. to that? You know, Joel said, I'm not getting involved in the hard and stuff. It's like uh, uh, T.O. and McNabb, you know? Like, T.O. didn't want to stay, was mad because McNabb never went to management for him. Harden, uh, Embiid's like, I'm staying out of this mess. Whatever they do is fine. But he also did say, hey, I think James and I can win together, but... What is the messaging to Embiid then? Well, if they hire D'Antoni, I, I I would be curious what the message is to Embiid. Uh, now, some other coaches on that list you could argue would cater more towards Embiid, like Monty Williams. Uh, they they spent time together when he, when Monty was in Philadelphia. As far as I know, they had a really good working relationship. So that's the way that maybe you're catering to Joel Embiid a little bit. Um, or, or, you know, you could just – hire the best guy for the job, whoever that is. Um, and maybe it's a Mike Budenholzer or a Nick Nurse where neither of those guys really has a, a – you, would, you wouldn't look at either of those guys and say like, okay, they're bringing this guy in because he fits James Harden or they're bringing that guy in because he fits Joel Embiid. So um, I think if it's Dan Tony, I, I think Maury is going to have to have a real long, hard talk with Joel Embiid to figure out what makes sense because I, I – I, I, the, the idea, and I, I've seen it reported, the idea that Harden wants this, whatever, freedom in an offense. He wants to be this, the focal point. At 33 years old, um, and, and you know, I, I, I get he showed flashes and, like, sometimes, but, like, he can't be the focal point of an offense, especially, like, you have the MVP of the NBA, and you're talking about being the focal point of an offense. And on top of that, Mikey says, 
but I also want a competitive team. I just speaking frankly, I'm not trying to 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 you know pour on James Harden here, but like, what competitive team is going to shell out the money and then also make you the focal point of their offense? Name one competitor that would do that because I don't think that exists. Right. Yeah, I, I have a hard time thinking a team is willing to build their team around James Harden at this stage. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers. Uh, some of the takeaways. Um, Maury blamed himself, essentially. You know, he was asked a question, and he said, I'm the blame, which I don't have a problem with. He's saying my roster's not good enough, but I, I, I don't I don't have a problem with him saying that. I don't know that that's accurate. The, the Maury thing is weird to me. I like Maury. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's done a good job. But he is clearly putting himself now under the microscope, which he doesn't care. He gets fired, whatever. He didn't even want to take this job originally. He just kind of, you know, uh, was asked to do it. Yeah, sure, why not? But... Now, would you agree that he is clearly the the sand is going through the hourglass on him? Well, certainly. I mean, if this year, or do you think he's one of these well, guys that has the ear of ownership and that he really can do no wrong? No, I, look, I don't. I don't know if anyone um, is quite there, unless you're like you know Pat Riley or something. Like, I, I don't think anyone is really at that level. Um, I, I think, you know, Maury's and he said it, too, like you said, like, I'm I'm here to do a job, a job that we didn't get done. And that falls on me. So, yeah, I mean, when it gets to a point where you fire the head coach and now let's say he brings back James Harden. And now the other thing I would say too, Mike, is I, I do think him and, and Doc Rivers got along maybe more than people realize. But at the same time, he didn't hire Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers was hired and then Daryl Morey was hired. So now this is Maury's chance to pick a new coach. He has James Harden here if he can bring James Harden back. So now it's to a point where, okay, this is your team. You built this. You have the players you want. You have the coach you want. If this doesn't work, it's all on you. So I think that's where it's at now. And I think, like you said, Maury's a smart guy. He knows it. He gets that. And that's I think that was what the the the, the point of his message was yesterday was like, yeah, like it, it's, you know, it. It, time ran out for Doc. Eventually, time's going to run out for me. And, and that's just the reality of being, you know, in the NBA. And it's a results-driven business. And when you don't win, you don't advance past the second round. When you don't win a championship, this is what happens. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I, I like the whole Maury thing is weird because he got here. And this, people have to remember this, Paul, right? When he got here, this team got swept in the first round. And it felt like this roster was in shambles. Going in the opposite direction. You had Horford, who looked like just he was spent. Now, of course, he goes to the playoffs, and he he's part of the reason why he helps you uh, helps Boston. But at the, he didn't fit well here. You had Josh Richardson. You had no shooting. You got swept, and it was like, how are we going to get rid of these guys? So he basically came into a spot where he had to clean the team up for a couple of years. But I guess now is as you just kind of hinted at, he cleaned that situation up, but now he's kind of. It's kind of stuck again on, okay, how do I further fixing where I'm at? It almost feels like the team they just had was his best patchwork that he could do from the mess they had two years ago. Well, I think it's an easy thing for people to forget about, but that 2020 draft night was like legitimately one of the best nights a Sixers executives probably ever had. He makes the two trades you talked about. He drafts Tyrese Maxey, who looks like he's going to be a franchise cornerstone. He takes Paul Reed with one of the last picks of the second round, who 
you know, eliminated the issue of a backup center this postseason. None of us complained about a backup center this year because of Paul Reed. Um, so I think that's easy to forget. Now, granted, it was 2020. It is now 2023. It's definitely a what have you done for me lately thing. The other thing I'll say, though, is, and this isn't to make excuses. This isn't to say, you know, but game six, they're up 83-81 with five minutes to go with a chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they don't close it out. That's as close as they, I mean, other than, you know, obviously Kawhi hitting a uh, gravity-defying shot. But other than that, like, how that's as close as they've gotten. Yeah. I mean, they were right there. They should have won that game. They blow it. it there's no excuse. Boston was a better team. They wind up winning the series. But my point in saying that is he built a roster that had the Boston Celtics on the ropes in game six, a chance to close it out, and they just couldn't get it done. So it's not like to me, and I think the one thing that Maury said, again, that people are losing sight of, there are like 26 teams that would prefer to have the Sixers roster over what they have right now, right? Like it's just they made it that far. Like So it's – I get the emotion of Game 7. I get how ugly it was. I get people want to see changes. I All of these things, like, I totally understand. I think everyone has a right to feel that way. But I think with all of that, we're losing a little bit of sight about that this was, I like, the best team that the Sixers have probably had since that Jimmy Butler year. And in some ways, you could argue maybe it was a little bit better. Yeah, and the only – I guess the only question built off of that, if I'm peeling the onion, is – Okay, I, this was the best team I had, but I'm not sure that I can better it. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is uh, this is why you pay Daryl Morey a lot of money. This is why he is supposed to be one of the best executives in the NBA because you don't have a lot. Even if you bring James Harden back, you have what? You have Paul Reed who's a restricted free agent. You have uh, George Niang, uh, Jake Milton, Jake Milton yeah. uh, the missing one guy, I think, in that mix. But we, you, anyway, you have nobody of consequence. Sure, uh, but you have multiple free agents, um, and you're not going to be able to resign all of them. And you're again, you're not going to have. I think they might have like the one, like the taxpayer mid-level exception. They've got a trade exception, I think, for Thibel. Um, so they'll they'll have some. So they'll have something to play with, and then obviously veteran minimum contracts for guys that maybe want to play with Harden, want to play with Embiid, and try to chase a ring. Um, and then don't forget too, like uh, Tobias Harris's contract is expiring. Maybe that can be moved for something, not anything great, but maybe you can get a depth wing or a backup center to help mitigate the guys you might lose in free agency. So, yeah, I, I mean, as you sit here, yeah, the, the idea it sounds like is run it back, but I think you run it back to your point, Mike, you run it back with improvements. Like you're going to have to make some other moves around the edges to just get that much better. And again, I think what Maury said was, you need to be. We needed to be one point better in one more game in the second round, and that's true. So yeah. now you need to look at all the angles to get that one point game, one point better in one game in the second round. Jalen McDaniels, by the way, is a free agent. Uh, he's the other. Yes, guy. there it is. Which they did make a trade for him, and they did give up, you know, a player in Thibault. So that's we'll see. I mean, obviously he wasn't effective in the Celtics series, but they were very high on him when they drafted him. I thought he did some good things. During the season in the Brooklyn series, but the Celtics series, he clearly um, was overmatched. Um, you believe that the players will not have input on the, the next head coach? No, I don't think that's – I. you're going to tell me that they're not going to talk to Joel Embiid and James Harden at all? Um, I think that's crazy. Um, 
I get what Maury, I guess what the, the message he's trying to deliver is that it's going to be kind of what we talked about at the top. It's his decision. It was his decision to let Doc go. It's his decision on who the next coach is going to be. And I think he wanted to maybe he's trying to make that clear. But to think again, if, if you resign, if the plan is to resign James Harden, you think that's going to happen and you bring Mike D'Antoni on board, there has to be a conversation with Joel Embiid about that before you go ahead and do it, right? Like, you can't just go into that and do it and then be like, oh, yeah, by the way, Joel, we're bringing in James well, Harden's coach I, not that from you, when he was in Houston. Joel and D'Antoni have to have some relationship. He was here. Sure. I yeah. don't remember. Was no. he here when Joel was hurt? Or was that when – I mean, he, no, was, he was He was back when Joel was playing, right? He, he was back when Joel was playing. But it was only for one year, and it was a weird situation – um, Colangelo brought him on to be like an assistant head coach. It was a, he almost felt like he wanted to make D'Antoni the coach and, and fire Brett Brown, but it didn't kind of work out that way. It was a weird situation. But anyway, um, but still, I mean, it's not, but it's nothing like what Mike D'Antoni and James Harden had. You know what I mean? Like, right, that, right, right. That was, he was the guy who, who, you know, helped make James Harden an MVP, just like Doc Rivers was the guy who helped make Joel Embiid an MVP. So, um, there would be some things at odds there with me. I, I, that's why I am man. Like, uh, it's a shame because I think D'Antoni's actually a, a very good coach. But when you add that hardened factor in there, it just makes me concerned that if stuff goes south, um, it feels like it could go very south very quickly. Yeah. Uh, that one, I, I almost, right. Cause now you're appeasing James Harden. You've almost put him above Embiid in terms of level of importance, whose voice matters more. And this reminds me, not that we're at that spot, but, you know, the Ben stuff kind of started like, hey, Ben doesn't want to come back. And you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. No, Ben's not happy with what happened after the playoffs. Eh, he'll get over it. No, Ben's not happy until he didn't show up. You know, it finally got to a point. You wonder if Joel's like, okay, you've pushed me far enough. You know, I want out. And, 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 that's the concern if you hire Dan Tony without any input from him. Well, on top of that, you already have Daryl Morey admitting that Joel Embiid was not thrown that they fired Doc Rivers. Um, and we can all debate. Uh, I think, you know, it, it, for me, it's, it's probably the right decision to move on from Doc Rivers, but you still have to factor in the feelings of the MVP of the league and your best player, the guy who's kind of, who has been the cornerstone of the franchise for, what I mean, since he got here, since or at least since he's been playing since 2016, he's been the, the cornerstone of the franchise. So his feelings have to be in there. Yeah. Um, I, I get. Hey, unless secretly yeah. they're hoping he asked, and they say he asked for the trade. We didn't oh, want to move boy. him. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not <laughs> go there because. And for me, Mike, I, I really feel strongly that because there's a lot of been a lot of stuff thrown out there. I know even Brian Tapork who. Um, I love dearly who writes for Liberty Ballers, who I completely disagree with on the topic. Um, I don't think Joel Embiid is going anywhere unless he nudges behind the scenes. And I don't have any indication that that's going to be a thing. But to your point, if they fire the coach he likes, if they bring in a coach to appease James Harden, and then if things maybe are going south when the season starts, yeah, maybe you're maybe that's well, when. He gets a little antsy. It feels like this is just the world we live in, you know, where Paul Hudrick, by the way, from Liberty Ballers is, is with me, where, you know, 
you have a guy and then you don't win and you get bored of that guy. He was the fun toy. We loved him. And then it's like, all right, we've seen this for six, seven years. It's time to kind of make a change. Look what's going on in Portland right now. I mean, Lillard's been like, hey, I don't want to leave this place. And now because they're not winning and all of a sudden it's like, all right, we can't win with this guy. Move him. And this guy's like, hey, I've done everything. I've tried to stay here for you guys. I've wanted to be a Portland trailblazer. And now all of a sudden he's getting getting these people that are basically like hey man why don't you go find a trade because you can't win here it's just kind of like the society that we live in it feels like this whole hey he's our guy we want him to be a lifer has been pushed aside to you were fun when you were young but now you're getting old and and you can't we can't win with you yeah and excuse me i get the idea of like you know maybe ultimately you can't win with joel Embiid, but I think it's better to <clears throat> find out if you can't rather than just yeah. <clears throat> give up early. Yeah. Uh, Paul, yeah, get yourself some water real fast, man. Get yourself a, a little cup of, cup of uh, water. I see you got the water. I'll, I'll fill in for you for a second. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, uh, we got plenty of the you – now, he was on Tuesday. We asked him about the coaching different candidates out there uh, that have been – now, one of the reports today, I guess, is that, that they're the six. They're not going outside – of those guys, there's not going to be some, you know, J.J. Redick, who apparently is the betting favorite to be the next head coach. What doesn't appear they're going to go down that road. So it's going to be one of these six guys that we've talked about. Vogel, Monty Williams, Budenholzer, um, who am I forgetting there? Nick Nurse and Sam Gissell. They would be the guys that uh, are, are on the list right now. So uh, that seemingly is the direction. But... Um, when we look at where this team is this offseason, for you, Paul, what is, is it James Harden decision, making sure Embiid's happy, or the coaching decision? What is at the top of the list of importance? To me, it's making sure Joel Embiid is happy. Uh, that would be at the top of my list. Now, what Harden does <clears throat> and how that situation plays out, that's going to shape everything. Because if he walks... Um, like we talked about, that's, you know, scenario B with the tools Maury says he has available. He's going to have to get pretty creative, I would think. And um, I'm not sure if they're going to be as competitive. Like, I, like, quite frankly speaking, I mean, say what you want about James Harden. The Sixers were the three seed this year. They were the best team in the NBA from December on. They took the Boston Celtics to seven games in the second round. If you lose James Harden and there's no clear replacement for him, which I don't know that there would be, I don't know that this team can have that amount of success. I just don't. Um, and I love Tyrese Maxey. I think Tyrese Maxey has a chance to be an all-star caliber player. I think he's that good. Uh, but wh- where are you replacing that hardened playmaking? Where are you replacing his passing? Um, you can't just put the Anthony Melton in the starting lineup and then say, okay, uh, let's see what we got. I mean, yeah, you, you, I'll say this. You'd be a better defensive team. Uh, that's for sure. But your offense would suffer uh, flat out. Um, so – you would need some type of point guard to fill in some type of playmaker. And again, I, I don't know where you're getting that guy without giving up Tyrese Maxey. And I don't know that that's the right move. So that's why to me, like, yeah, the, the priority is making Joel Embiid happy to, to, to be a contender. Um, and, but the Harden situation just looms over everything because whatever he decides, that's kind of where you have to go from there. Um, but even if he resides, Mike, I'm not just hiring, again, not just hiring Mike D'Antoni just to appease him. I'm hiring the guy I think is the best guy to to lead this team. 
the best guy to help James Harden and Joel Embiid coexist if I am, in fact, bringing back James Harden. So um, level of importance, yeah. And listen, I, I think that coach is, is – you and I agree that it's the most overrated thing in the world. That Not to say these guys – some of these guys aren't great at what they do. Yeah. But there are only a few select coaches that are just impactful Hall of Fame. Like one of them is coaching right now, and Eric's. And really, look at the Final Four. Like Eric Spolster is really the only guy who I would say, "Yep, that guy might be the best coach in the NBA, future Hall of Famer." I, Mike Joe Mazzulla is in his first year. Darvin Ham's in his first year. Uh, Michael Malone seems like he is a pretty good coach, but uh, you know this is his real first run. Um, you know he, he made the Western Conference Finals once, so. It's it, yes, coaching matters, but uh, it doesn't matter to the to, to the to the amount that people think. And I think w- another thing that Maury said was key was this: he didn't fire Doc Rivers because he thinks he's a bad coach or any of that. He fired Tactician. Doc Rivers because fit. He wasn't sure that maybe that maybe the, one of these guys that is out there is a better fit for this team, for Joel Embiid, for James Harden, for the Sixers organization. Yeah, uh, what's going on with uh, – I read that Spolster article in The Athletic the other day, and I thought there was a lot of eye-opening stuff in there about, you know, is he a good tactician? Sure, he comes up with – but the culture that he sets, you know, the what he demands from those players on off days – People talk about the Butler. We're talking about Butler. Butler has been tremendous. But people forget he didn't have a great game seven when he was here. I mean, that game seven against Toronto, 16 points, one of six. You know, does Spolstra get more out of Butler than Brett Brown was able to? I mean, who knows? But Jimmy's just better, too. I mean, that's part of it, too. He's he's older. He's wiser. Yeah. Well, um, it's that, funny. And, I don't know. Yeah. Did you see Michael Caskey Blomain's poll that he pulled back from 2019? I did not. So it asked, all things considered, which guy would you rather keep, Harris or Butler? That poll from March of 2019, 91% said they'd rather keep Harris. That's wild. What? Yeah. I and, couldn't, I could not believe it. Cause every night now you got to see, we had this guy, yeah. right? And it's like, right. Apparently I don't remember, like, I, it's not clear in my mind of like who won it what. Cause there was a lot happening at that time. And that's what it is. And Mike, we're still like, we literally still find out details, right? Like we have random people reporting like, Oh yeah, by the way, this happened. You're like, Whoa, wait, that happened. Um, because you know, you, you have the famous Jimmy Butler thing where he's saying Tobias Harris over me. And it's like, Actually, it was more like Ben Simmons or maybe even Al Horford over you, more so than Tobias Harris. Yeah. Like, they could have brought that's it. Like they could have brought both guys back. You remember that the theme after that year was run it back, bring them both back, Harris and Butler, um, which they could have financially under the cap. They could have done that. They right. could have made and that the, happen. Their thought process with Horford was Embiid missed so much time. Right. That they wanted to get a serviceable guy that if Embiid ever did miss a lot of time, they had Horford. The problem was playing them together they didn't envision was going to be a problem. And by the way, Horford was not very good when he was here. He wasn't. You know, what's, I think about it now. This version of Horford and this version of, of Embiid, they probably could have made it work. Isn't that funny <laughs> to think about? Like, they probably could have made it work now because Horford, um, you know, ha- has really, like, learned – on offense, like I got to take threes. Like I, I don't have the mobil- mobility I once had. Like I have to take threes, and it's what I have to do. Um, and you could have 
You could do what the Celtics did. You could have Al Horford guarding the centers and Joel Embiid is your roamer to just protect the rim like Robert Williams does. Yeah. So it's it's sort of funny to think that now they would be in a better position to do that um, because of where both guys are, because of where Horford is as a player and where he's kind of taken – not to say he wasn't like a good – like, you know, he didn't like fill a role before, but like now I feel like he's really embraced the idea of a role and Embiid just becomes such a better passer, such a better scorer. Um, such a better overall player that, yeah, I, I think now uh, they actually could have made it work. And not only that, you don't have Ben Simmons anymore. Uh, so yeah. with all those things, they might have actually been able – they would they would be in a better position now to make it work. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, check out uh, his five takeaways from the Daryl Morey uh, press conference from yesterday. He's got a really good long form on it over at LibertyBallers.com, and he was kind enough, of course, to join us here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Paul. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you got it, Mike. Yeah, man. Great stuff. Uh, good conversation with Paul. Kind of podcast form there as uh, we just kind of mix it up there on the Sixers. And get your reaction. 609-403-0973 on the text board. If you're listening on the mobile app, you can message us on the app on your phone. 609-403-0973. I see a couple texts coming in from the conversation with Paul. What do you guys think? In terms of, you know, this big story with the Harden stuff, several members of Rivers staff felt that Harden was the driving force in getting Doc Rivers fired. It almost sounds like they didn't want to fire Doc Rivers. It was James Harden saying, eh, it's either him or me. And they said, well, we'll keep you. So what does that mean moving forward? Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Plus, we've got a story on Dame Lillard. I want to get into the mix. Sound of the day. And later on tonight, Joel Embiid says he's staying out of the Harden deal. Stick around. That's tonight at 5. Sports Bass, 97.3 ESPN. Now, back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 337 on a sports bash Thursday. You know, many times we use hindsight and look back on things. We're going to look back at the 19 series against Toronto as a possible what if. We're going to look back at this one because as Paul mentioned, the Sixers were right there. This team is not a disaster. They are not like, oh my gosh, but they're at a crossroads right here. There's no question about it. What happens in this free agent period with James Harden is definitely a huge decision. And James Harden, you know, several members of the staff felt that Harden was the driving force in firing him. Here's my question. If the rest of the players, Maxi, Harris, Embiid, P.J. Tucker, etc., key players on this team, if they wanted Doc Rivers and like Doc Rivers, but Harden 
was the driving force in getting him out of here. Is there, if they bring Harden back, are you looking at some sort of tension between that group of players and Harden being like, yo, you got Doc Rivers fired, man. That's not cool. That's not cool. Unless they all got together in a room and said, hey, man, we need you to go to bat for us and get this guy out of here. I mean, I don't know that that's the case. I don't think that is the case. But you have a weird situation going on here. Look, I don't think the GM needs to talk to the players. Well, I take that back. I think you get input from the players on coaching decisions. But he shouldn't hire the coach that one player wants. Or if one player wants the coach fired, he should also not listen to that guy over everybody else. So the way the Sixers are approaching this Harden and Doc thing is a little concerning to me. I think it's a little bit, as we've kind of hinted at, almost like prioritizing James Harden a little bit over the feelings of Joel Embiid. And look... Joel Embiid, I think, was disappointing in these playoffs. I don't know what his injury, what that, how much of a factor that was in what happened in this series because, quite frankly, he played well enough in many of the games to say, okay, he, you know, but you get to a point where if you're Joel Embiid, when is his frustration going to be too much? When is it going to boil over? Many times we talk about great players. You don't win a championship right away. And it you you build off of that. You know, what happened to the Joel Embiid that was crying in the tunnel in 2019 that made it feel like this was never going to happen again? I was never going to have some disappointing game seven that I was going to leave it all out on the table. We haven't we, we saw that in the Atlanta series where he played really well in Game 7, but we didn't get that in this series. So this team is at a big crossroads right here. They are at a major, major, major crossroads. I mean, how many times... This is a team that realistically... Now, I know Boston lost last night, right? So if Miami ends up going to the finals, it almost would be more frustrating. or It would probably be worse, I think, if you lost to beat Boston and then lost to Miami. <laughs> I don't know which is worse, actually. It's it's two twenty two twenty one right whatever it takes, but if you got into a situation where you made it to the finals, you would have been, you know, one of the final four teams in the entire league. And if you end up losing that series, this team is right there. As Doc Rivers said, we have the right players, but the problem is you had the right players now. I don't know that you're going to have that same group again. And that's why they're at such a crossroads here. That's why they are at a really big crossroads with all the decisions that are about to happen. And I think Daryl Morey is putting all his chips in the middle. And he notices what we're noticing. We were right there. But if we let James Harden walk, we're back in no man's land. So I'm willing to... You know, this is like the processors against the anti-processors. You know what I'm saying? We can basically put our chips in the middle and go for it. Doesn't mean we're going to win, but we're going to take our best shot at trying to change the forces of the franchise, and that means bringing James Harden back because we were right there. Or we can just keep doing what we've been doing and go let Harden walk and fall back to the middle of the pack. Seems like a weird situation. It is a weird situation, but like with many of these kind of debates, whether they're sports or otherwise related, I 
I find myself sometimes questioning both sides of the debate because, Mike, on one hand, I, I look at the Harden situation and I think that he is one of the top people to blame for you not advancing the playoffs. He went and did nothing for you in game six and seven. On the other side of the coin, I totally understand where someone like Daryl Morey is coming from, where Morey says, look, who are we going to get to replace this guy? There's no guarantee that I can replace this guy if I don't bring him back. So I see both sides of the bait. My question to you, Mike, is what do you think has more value for this team? Is it James Harden that we saw this past year, or is it attempting to replace him with bits and pieces. Well, the hard part is, I think they're in a. Uh, you, you can't really replace it with bits and pieces. They, they are so hamstrung because of the 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 the, um, the Harris contract, right? So they really can't. And I mean, it's I'm not working, a great, and it's not a great free agent class either, right? I mean, I'm working under the assumption that Maury's probably going to trade at least Tobias Harris, if not both Harris and Cork Mons, and get rid of their contracts. I'm I am working under that assumption because, as you mentioned with Paul Hudrick earlier, Maury has found ways to get rid of contracts before. So I'm not going to dismiss that idea. I'm working under the assumption that he will get that done. Yeah, I look a couple of years ago we looked at this team. And we said, how are they going to do anything with this Horford thing? Right. How are they going to do anything with this Josh Richardson thing? He got rid of both of them. You know, Paul brought it up. That draft night in 2020, I guess it was, was one of the best maneuvers for a GM period. Right. He he got someone to take out Horford. Horford got traded to Oklahoma City. Yes. For... Um, I don't think they got a player. They got Danny Green. That's how they ended up with Danny Green was part of that Horford trade. Oh, that's right. Danny Green was in that deal. And the Josh Richardson deal helped them land Seth Curry. Yeah, Curry, they got Curry in the deal for, for Richardson. I and mean, that was thievery. Horford was the Green deal because, remember, there was a whole situation with Green in Los Angeles, and then they got shoveled off the OKC, and then he got shoveled off the Philly. He's going to have to do something similar to that, though. Here's the problem. Yeah. When you trade Tobias Harris, you're not trading him to get – you're going to have to include a pick or something for someone to take him, I think. Do we got to do, man? Put it this way. I'm going to get into this next. Okay? Um, On the other side. Some funky music here. You like it? Yeah. Making Bush was happy hour Friday. (laughs) It's close. Dame Lillard had a surprising message for Trailblazer fans who want to get him traded. One man's trash is another man's treasure. That's the message. That's next. This is the Sports Bash. Calm. Now, back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 
351 on the Sports Pass Live 97.3 ESPN. Dave Lillard has a message for Trailblazers fans who want to get him traded. I feel like this is everywhere. Like, we're sick of you. And Sixer fans are like, well, we'll take you. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Dave Lillard has had enough. All right? This guy's been loyal. He's trying to do his best to win a championship. For, like, this is what I don't understand with fans. Sometimes it's crazy to me. Like, this whole, like, going out about this guy today, about the Sixers. Like, you know, hey, they're no better than they were before they lost on purpose. Yeah, they're way better than they were then. Way better situation. Their franchise is in a way better spot. You think Dame Lillard? Okay, if Dame Lillard were to get traded, you think Dame Lillard in 2008 was going to say, I want to go to the Sixers? Absolutely not. Freaking no way. But now. Dame Lillard would consider the Sixers for one reason. Joel Embiid. Joel, well, really two reasons. Okay, two. Joel Embiid, and that building is packed every single night. You think Dame Lillard, the people in Portland are saying, trade Dame Lillard, it's time to move on, we gotta make a change. Sixer fans are like, we'll take him. Yeah, of course you will. But if this was 2011, do you think Dame Lillard's gonna say, you know where I'd like to go? Philadelphia. Absolutely. Of not. course not. I'll give you, you one. People are out of your freaking minds, man. I'll give you one other reason why Lillard might want to come here as well. It's the third reason. Tyrese Maxey. Some of his biggest success in Portland was with CJ McCollum next to him. Having a dual ball handler backcourt, he thrived in that system. You don't think that having two guards like Lillard and Maxey with their dynamic could really put a lot of stress on other teams' defense and then open the floor up more for Joel Embiid? Hello. Well, somebody tweeted at Lillard. He says, if the fans want to trade me, start the petition and send it in. Is Dame Lillard starting to get to the point where he's getting pushed too much? Yes, because Lillard has gone out of his way to support that community, support that organization, do everything above and beyond. He's gotten into a conference finals. By the way, something Embiid hasn't done. He's gotten to a conference finals, has Dame Lillard. And the the community, that fan base, doesn't appreciate him. And it's kind of what happened with Donovan Mitchell in Utah. It's like, if you guys really don't want me, I don't have to be here. Right, listen. I gave everything I had for this team. I'm the only thing this team has. I'm the only reason why this team has any relevancy. You want to get rid of me? Fine. Well, one of the things that he tweeted not so long ago, I don't know how many people saw this, but there was a comment about Embiid. And he says, I saw the full, meaning the snippet of a quote from Embiid. Right. And Dame Lillard quote tweeted and said, I saw the full. I love Embiid. I also love their roster. Interesting. So here's Dame Lillard saying, I love the Sixers roster. You want to trade me? What about a spot on that team over there? And I got news for you. The 2012 team he wouldn't want to play here. The 2011 team. The 2010. The 209. 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. He would never want to play on those teams. <laughs> But you got Joel Embiid, and you got a full house every single night. If Dame Lillard is on the market, guess what? He might say, I want to be traded, and I wouldn't mind going to Philadelphia. Here's the problem. I don't know how you construct a trade because you're not trading Tobias Harris or Dame Lillard straight up. Those salaries would match. Those they would. But you've got to do some other crazy creative stuff. 
And I just don't see how that but happens. But Maury is a crazy creative guy, is he not? He's a mad scientist. When we come back, Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Andrew DeCecco's in the house. What training camp battles is he looking forward to? That's coming up next. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. It's football at four. Football at four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Of course, Eagles continuing on at mini camps. The open roster spots begin now. Who's going for them? Well, we got a bunch of battles. We're going to be breaking down. What do we know? What are we thinking? Training camp not too far away. Andrew DeCecco over at InsideTheBirds.com has position battles to watch at training camp. A lot of open roster spots. Who has stood out and impressed? We had some veteran players that have spoken at training camp. You know, Jason Kelsey the other day, I guess he spoke yesterday or today uh, at the NovaCare Complex. And one of the things Jason Kelsey said that I thought was, you know, something that was kind of eye-opening here had to do with their right guard situation and Isaac Sayamala. You know, so many times we just take for granted Sayamala's a guy, he was here, and he wasn't the all-pro. He wasn't the pro bowler. You got Mylotta. You got Dickerson. You've got Jason Kelsey. You got Lane Johnson. Those guys have all made big money, high draft choices. There's Isaac Sayamala. Kelsey says losing Sayamala in free agency is going to be a big blow. And, yeah, we know he's one of the best right guards in football. But Kelsey said something that was really eye-opening. He said, quote, I think he's one of the most consistent players I've ever been around. He's one of the most consistent people I've ever been around. So we're not going to replace Isaac. There's going to be someone new in there, and they're going to have to uh, have their attributes that they're going to have to excel with. And I'm looking forward to seeing who does a really good job with that. He's really, really special player. And he went on to say that he's probably the smartest player I've ever been around. And that's where we start today's football at four with Andrew DeCecco from InsideTheBirds.com, who takes a look at some competition at training camp, which is getting underway right now in these mini camps because some of the particulars are here. And Jason Kelsey said that yesterday uh, about the right guard position, which Isaac Sayamala, one of the smartest players he's ever been around, Andrew. And we have a battle that you're keeping an eye on at training camp that has to do with that right guard spot. Yeah, as it stands right now, it's going to be Cam Jurgens, Tyler Steen, the rookie, of course. And uh, don't forget about Jack Driscoll, the, uh, the holdover. He's actually the only player of the three that's actually played right guard, although he's a distant third. I think it's going to come down to Cam Jurgens and Tyler Steen, and I actually see Cam Jurgens winning this out just for him being in the system for a year. Obviously, you hear how smart he is, and you want to, you don't want to shelve a player with his talent. Uh, to see for a second season, so I think that he probably has the upper hand, but I think he'll be pushed for uh, pushed in camp by Steen. I just don't know if he'll be able to make up enough ground in a couple of months, whereas 
Cam Jurgens has a full year working with Jeff Stoutland. Yeah, and how much do you, you mentioned Driscoll, kind of a distant guy, but you know his versatility and his ability to be kind of be a swing guy for them almost hurts his candidacy here. Yeah, I think he's going to fit into the role where he's going to be a valuable commodity as a swing as a swing tackle, swing player for the Eagles, and that does hurt his candidacy a little bit. But also, he's a little bit more undersized, and you need to have some sort of strength at the point of attack, some physicality to be able to hold up on the inside. And I don't really know that that's. I mean, he, he's more of a finesse type of player, but he's also a multifaceted type of player that I think he has value being able to produce, being able to contribute. At multiple multiple positions, so I think that that's really where he's going to slot in. Look, he would start for a lot of teams. A lot of teams would uh, would yearn for to have a guy like Jack Driscoll on their roster, but he's going to be a valuable depth player for the Eagles. Looking at some competitions, Andrew Checo position battles to watch at training camp, and some of the stuff is getting underway now. Before we get to those. I always have kind of looked at these mini camps and people said, well, what are you really getting out of them here? I always feel like if you're a guy that maybe isn't on the radar, these are the times that you could put yourself on the radar so that when you get to training camp, the coaching staff might say, hey, I don't know much about this guy, but he's a guy I want to see more when we get here in August. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If not just from impressing in the drills, but also from you know talking to your coaches, sort of announcing your presence, getting to know some of the some of the guys and just sort of uh, becoming somebody that's going to stand out. First impressions are everything. And sometimes you might leave a lasting impression where they want to get a longer look at you, as you said, try and get them some reps in training camp. So it's, it's not all for, for nothing here. You can make it an early impression and hopefully that can, so you can, if you're a, that player, you can parlay that into a longer uh, advantageous situation in the summer where you can get a longer look, uh, especially in the preseason games. Yeah, and you got two new coordinators too, so this is kind of a big time for those guys as well to kind of get their coordinator beaks wet, if you will. Let's look at some of the uh, other battles that you wrote about over at InsideTheBirds.com that you're keeping an eye on, and it's that number three wide receiver spot. So kind of break down the particulars of who's involved and how you see that one shaking out. Yeah, so Quez Watkins is the incumbent, right? And obviously there's been a lot of folks calling for his release and calling for him to be replaced. And I think as of right now, it's a little premature. I mean, he does offer a valuable commodity, and that would be speed. Do I think he should be handed the job? No, not by any stretch. And I think he's going to get pushed in camp by Alameda Zacchaeus, who was signed in free agency. And I think the Eagles, I mean, look, they really have been steadfast in, in their support for Quez Watkins, and, and they really like what he provides. I don't think he's a number three. I think he's largely been miscast. But I think that he also has a role on this team as a speed guy. I mean, like I said, a lot of teams have that uh, covet what he what he's really, what he excels at. Now, the problem is if he doesn't win the third spot, he would be the four, and he doesn't really contribute on special teams, which is a prerequisite for a depth-wide receiver. So how does he fit in? And I think it's going to be a legitimate competition with Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus, I think, is going to ultimately win out because he's a sure-handed third receiver. He's only 5'8", 193, but I think in, in 151 career targets, he's always dropped three passes at the at the pro level, which is remarkable. But I also think he's better short area quickness and better working the short to intermediate areas of the field. That's really what the Eagles need, just giving that extra safety valve for a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, where he can also have uh, he can also work in, in tandem with Dallas Goddard 
and have that presence over the middle of the field. And that, that's that's a welcome addition to the offense, I think. And he's just a reliable guy who can also, in a pinch, contribute as a returner, which is something he hasn't necessarily done since his rookie season. Hey, uh, that's the number three wide receiver spot, but I want to get your thoughts on what happens if, God forbid, one of the top two guys get hurt. How do they, you know, do they have someone that can go to the outside? Uh, you know, there's not a lot of veteran presence at this wide receiver spot. So if A.J. Brown or Devonta Smith, you know, had a hamstring or something that forced them out a week, three weeks, something like that, how would you kind of read how they might handle that kind of situation? Well, as of right now, Quez, who is better equipped to be an outside receiver than he is a slot, would be that guy. But I also think that I would, I would also keep an, keep, an, keep an eye out for the Eagles looking to add a veteran maybe late after June 1st or maybe later in training camp because they really don't have a lot of size there, for one. But there's not a lot of experience outside of those top three or four guys. And, you know, if you're Quez Watkins and you're hanging on the roster fringes, I don't know that you want to bank on somebody like that. So it sort of behooves the Eagles to bolster that by getting a, a competent veteran in there to at least challenge and push them, some of these guys. Um, you can also stash one of those guys on the practice squad sort of waiting in the wings there, but they really do need to add that. I was actually a little surprised they didn't add a receiver in the draft, but you only have so many draft picks, you can't address every area. Yeah, we're talking with Andrew DiCecco, football at four here on the Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. His uh, training camp battles are posted over at InsideTheBirds.com, and the other one is going to be safety. And uh, there's a couple names here uh, that are uh, in the mix for the safety spot. So break down your thoughts on what you're seeing from safety. You have rookie Sidney Brown, you have Terrell Edmonds, and you also have Reed Blankenship. So... It all depends on, on how quickly Sidney Brown is able to acclimate and pick up the terminology and limit those rookie mistakes that really plague almost every rookie in, in training camp at this time of year. So um, if he's able to get on the same page and, and they trust him to carry out his assignments early on, I have him penciled in as a starter. And he is a very uh, – he does have a very high football IQ, which is one of the things that I noticed most about him when I was evaluating him throughout the draft. He's a physical player. Uh, he offers more of a versatile skill set than any of the other three, uh, any of the other two players that I mentioned. So I'm going to go ahead and pencil him in as a starter, assuming everything works out. And then to me, Terrell Edmonds would be the next player. I mean, he's played in 79 career games, 75 starts, steady, dependable player. Doesn't necessarily move the needle, but he, he's a he's somebody that I think could uh, complement the skill set of a Sidney Brown. Uh, having uh, Terrell Edmonds and Reed Blankenship starting alongside each other, I think to me would be a little bit redundant in terms of skill set. And then where does that put Reed Blankenship? Well, I think he's going to be a really high end number three safety, and he's going to have a vital role in sub packages for this team under Sean Desai. And I mean, he, he's a player that, you know, you could look at as a starter in 2024 because uh, Edmund is only on a one year deal. Yeah. Uh, the, I guess, and everybody always loves the new guy, right? So Sidney Brown is going to be one that everybody kind of keeps their eye on. But in your mind, uh, what are the chances that he kind of uh, is able to wrestle this job away from one of these two guys? Well, he's the most talented, Mike. So, I, I mean, uh, sometimes talent usually usually takes over. And, and like I said, he is a very sharp-minded football player. So I think he's going to acclimate pretty quickly in camp. And, 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 you know, if you're able to do that and earn the coach's trust, I mean, you don't want to keep that talent on the sideline. He has a skill. He has skill sets and certain qualities to his game that that you know, you were not going to find in the in that room. So I think it behooves the Eagles to find a way to 
to uh, to you know expedite his progression and get him on the field. And then you have somebody like a Terrell Edmonds and Reed Blankenship who can be steady players for you. Either one of those guys. I mean, Edmonds isn't is not even a lock to make the team. You know, he's signed to a modest contract, but you like the experience there that he can provide to you know playing alongside a young player. So right now, I have him slotted to be a starter for the Eagles come week one. All right. Uh, yeah. And by the way, uh, the Eagles have signed their third round picks, Tyler Steen and Sidney Brown. Uh, both got four year deals, pretty standard stuff they signed, uh, today. So those guys are into the mix there. So those are some of the training camp battles that, uh, you're watching. Um, at, you know, obviously we're a little ways from training camp, but some of these guys have been in. I thought it was interesting yesterday, uh, James Bradbury, uh, spoke and had something about Sean Desai. I want to get your takes on this. And he basically came out and said yesterday, hey, uh, we got the new scheme, not much different from the old scheme. I guess that's not something that fans are going to want to hear. Well, I mean, look, anyone expecting something, uh, a stark contrast to what you saw a season ago and then to really for the last two seasons, I mean, you're in for a rude awakening. This Nick Sirianni co-signed, you know, he signed off on Jonathan Gannon's Scheme. And these are, you know, certain principles that he, you know, he believes in. He he wants to make sure that that, that there's certain there's a certain blueprint here on defense. And um, you might see some little tweaks. I mean, this isn't going to be verbatim, and you're not going to see him, you know, uh, necessarily execute the same system that you saw the previous two seasons. He'll put his own. I think he's going to be a little bit more aggressive. Let's say on like a, a third and thirteen, or you know, whatever. Dial up a little bit more pressure. And you might see some new wrinkles, but by and large, it's going to be a similar system. That's the philosophy that Nick Sirianni believes in. That's a, uh, Howie Roseman and all those guys. They're all supporting that. So anything uh, anything out of the ordinary, I certainly wouldn't expect it. All right, Andrew DeCecco, Football 4 here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Right before you came on, we were talking about, you know, your right guard is one of the things you're looking at. Jason Kelsey said they lost one of the smartest players he's ever been around. Do you think that that right guard spot is going to be a bigger issue than maybe some of us think? I don't. I mean, Sayamala was a really steady player and probably one of the most under-discussed starters on the Eagles team last season and really for the past couple. But I also think that Cam Jurgens was a highly regarded player. Remember, he was handpicked by Jason Kelsey to be his successor, not not the right guard, but he's a smart player, uh, very high pedigree, and I think that he can kind of step in seamlessly because you have someone like Kelsey who really is a steady presence uh, in the middle of that offensive line and you ha- and playing between Lane Johnson. I think that that's really, you know, a, a welcoming spot for a young player in Cam Jurgens, And he also has a year in the system working with Jeff Stoutland. So I think that right there not only gives him the upper hand, but it also allows a little bit more of a seamless transition than adding and throwing in somebody um, like maybe a Tyler Steen, who, who's really new to this and hasn't, hasn't played the position before, but also is, you know, he's always been in the NFL for, you know, an NFL player for a few weeks. So I don't know that it's going to be that big of a, that drastic of a transition because Jurgens has been there. But, um, and I also think playing beside, you know, two veteran players also helps to ease that. All right. Uh, Andrew Checo has more over at InsideTheBirds.com. Some competition battles. May the best man win. He had his 53-man roster projection posted last week. So check that out as well. And, of course, of course football at four right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Andrew, enjoy the weekend, man. You too, man. Take care. All right, Andrew's back next Thursday here for Football at Four on the Sports Bash Live. Football at Four every day right here 
on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. I want to tell you about my friends down in North Wildwood, Trio, 700 New Jersey Avenue. Make your reservations now on Resi. You know why? Well, summer's coming, and that means they're going to be opening starting next week. They will be open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So they're starting to gear up for the summer season, give you another opportunity, an extra day to go check out this fine restaurant in North Wildwood. Start your weekend plans off right with reservations at Trio North Wildwood. Get your reservations on Resi today, trionw.com. It's a great spot right there on New Jersey Avenue when you're rolling into North Wildwood. I tell you what. If you have not been, the summer season is going to be packing up. I would try to get there before summer gets here when the place is going to be getting crazy, right? You're going to be trying to, hey, let's go out to dinner tonight. Where are we going to go? Hey, I've been hearing about this trio. Try it before the summer season starts so that you can get yourself a nice table, sit down, talk to Chef Gus, Debbie, and the team over at Trio. Very intimate atmosphere my recommendation sports bass live 97.3 espn the free mobile app uh coming up we got sound of the day which uh jeff van gundy said something that i think is a conversation that we can really expand on that's coming up next this is the sports bash live on a thursday edition right here on 97.3 espn and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 425 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. We've got uh, sound of the day. Jeff Van Gundy, he said something I heard this morning on KJM. And it's something I think we all kind of understand or have been thinking about. But to hear Jeff Van Gundy kind of bring it up, I think, you know, maybe that mindset is starting to filter through the NBA. And I'm wondering what the next step might be. So let's bring in today's sound of the day, Josh Henning. By the way, who celebrated his birthday. Did you have fun last night? Did you party hard? No. You look a little disheveled, a little hungover? Nope. Yesterday was just a normal day. Party's the weekend. Party this weekend. All right. Look for Josh this weekend. Party hard. Tomorrow's happy hour Friday. Yeah. Guy, you know, work comes first. Got to do the work stuff. Got to be responsible. Got to, you know, pay bills, all that, blah, blah, blah. And then I can go enjoy my Party hardy. What was that? Andrew WK? Yeah. Party hard. Party hard. We will always party hard. I've heard that song a long time. Good stuff, right? Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, I think he had a bloody nose and well, that was the cover of his album, right? <laughs> yeah, that was the album. <laughs> I don't know how I remember that kind of stuff. Well, you did used to work at a rock station. Yeah. Many, uh, many years ago. So there's probably some things that are indelibly in your mind. That's true. So Jeff Van Gundy. So 
for those who want a little preface, so, you know, Monty Williams, Mike Budenholzer, Doc Rivers are three of the winningest coaches over the last few years. All were fired. Jeff Van Gundy's thoughts on the firing of what some people would consider good NBA coaches. The level of patience shows you there's really uh, a devaluation of what the regular season means. It, it's, it, it means nothing to so many people. And I think it's a bad, I think it's a bad course we're on in the NBA where over and over and over again, we give no, no credit to teams and coaches and players who play well and are available in the regular season. I think it's a bad path we're on. Yeah, this opens up a whole can of words. It's a bad path we're on. We give nobody credit. Like, listen, I understand the frustration with Doc Rivers not being able to get out of the second round for three straight seasons. But <laughs> I think I saw something today. You know how many teams, like people talk about Doc Rivers' losses in Game 7s. Right. You know how many teams have no losses in Game 7s because they're never there? A lot. <laughs> I mean, I would... I'm assuming there's at least maybe five. We never value your resume. We only value the result. Right. And I have a problem with that in a world where we're supposed to say, hey, look, look, in the last six years, in the second round of the playoff, five of the last six years, two teams have made it that far. Right. Philadelphia, and Boston. And that's it. That's it. Three straight years in the second round of the playoffs, two teams, Philadelphia and Phoenix. This team is not a failure. This organization doesn't have a bad culture. This team is on the precipice of being one of the best teams in this league year after year. The problem has become as fans, we only value one thing and one thing only. And Van Gundy just talked about it. You're saying, I would rather basically take a chance on somebody who has no experience. no, And that doesn't mean that person's not going to be good at what they're doing. But the whole purpose is, we talk about coaching and players and teams. You got a guy who won a championship, coach of the year honored as the best coach in your profession, and you're saying this guy's not good enough, what is the message big picture-wise? You have an 82-game season that you need to get through. You're saying your results of that 82-game are insignificant. Your results of winning the first round is insignificant. Your result of making it to the second round five out of the last six years is insignificant because you didn't do the one thing. And that's a horrible message because what you're doing is is you're devaluing the main catalyst that gets you to the place that you claim that you want. Every, every fan wants their team to win a championship. Every team, but in order to win a championship, there's steps in a process. Mike, you talk about the journey a lot, right? Enjoy the journey. You know, with the Phillies and the Eagles, you, you buckled up for the ride and you enjoyed the journey. Well, the problem is is that – there is no championship without the journey, and it seems like a lot of people have forgotten about that. Well, and this is like the the mindset, and everybody wants to take a shortcut. 
right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to take the shortcut. And this is one of the things that I liked about Hinky and the process and why I backed it. They didn't take a shortcut. You know, a lot of teams can be bad one year. Right. But a lot of times you're bad one year, you get a good player, and that player is not good enough to make you where you need to go. Right. They had an idea of saying, look, let's we're, we're going to tear this thing down. Let's do it the right way. You know, it's like somebody who decides, hey, I need a new kitchen, but I don't want to go full-fledged with a new kitchen. I just want to put in new – no, if I'm going to take out my kitchen, I'm going to take out the whole damn thing, and I'm going to start over. I want a completely new kitchen here. I don't want just – I don't want to keep my 1980 fridge and oven. I want to take them all out. I don't want just to change my cabinets. I want the cabinets gone. I want the fridge gone. I want the the oven gone. I want the sink out. I want it all gone. And the Sixers kept the path. Now, I will say this. Many people criticize the Sixers because they lost for all these years. There was a, <laughs> there was a lot more involved than just losing there for years. Number one, they drafted Joel Embiid, who was injured. They they drafted Nerlens Noel, who was injured. They were willing to have those guys sit out because they were more interested in the player than they were winning games immediately. They didn't realize that Joel Embiid was going to have to miss two years. And then Ben Simmons gets drafted. Well, he broke his foot in training camp. They intended on Ben Simmons playing his rookie season. They didn't think he was going to get hurt, which happened at Stockton, by the way. They didn't think he was going to get hurt his rookie year. So he has to end up sitting out the year. That wasn't the plan. But when the plan got diverted because of injuries, it wasn't like, hey, let's break this guy's foot and make him sit out for the year. People act like they were trying to lose for like four years in a row. That wasn't the case. It just ended up happening that way because they drafted Embiid. He has the broken foot problem. And then they fixed the foot and it wasn't fixed right. So they had to sit him out again a second year. That was not the intention. So... You look back at these teams that have success in the regular season, like a Portland, for instance, to use them as an example. You have Terry Stott, who was the coach out there. That doesn't mean you get a lifetime pass because you win 50 games. No, it doesn't. But the idea is is that you're not making a postseason run without going through the regular season first. You know, the regular season typically has, to, to me at least, one of three values. And I'm I'm just drawing off of things I've heard other people say. So this is not an original thought by me at all. But one, if you have young players, they need to get repetitions. They need to play. They need to get opportunities to get their feet wet in the league. So that's the first value of having a regular season. The second value is it's a testing ground to see what does or doesn't work before you get to the postseason. It's one of the things that Daryl Morey brought up yesterday about how they look at the regular season as a way for Embiid to get opportunities to get reps before the postseason. The third thing the regular season does is it determines who plays who in the postseason. You know, whether, so the, the regular season has intrinsic value, but as Van Gundy said, there has been a hyper devaluation of those things because of the idea of championship or bust. Whereas really, there's only one team that wins every year. There's only one team that wins every year is one thing, okay? But the other part of it is people act like, okay, that this championship 
Larry O'Brien trophy has been getting passed around from city to city, and your team is out. (laughs) It's definitely not the case. Golden State, Golden State, Golden State, Golden State, L.A., Cleveland, Miami, Miami. I mean, Boston, you don't have a whole heck of a lot of variety in teams that are winning this award, which tells you what. It is really, really hard. And, and, and of all the sports, the NBA has the least variety of champions because it is so predicated on having the best players. Correct. The best players win in the NBA. And realistically, if you if you were to put a number on it, there's probably only 10 guys in the league that you can legitimately say – if he's the best player on your team, you're winning a championship. Well, that's the problem, and that's why. That means there's only ten teams that have a chance every year. And, and but that is why you know the Sixers ended up doing what they did, and then everybody else—not everybody else, but a lot of teams—you know—it's just people have don't aren't open minded to the fact that the Sixers tried something different. It hasn't worked out for them on the court yet, but their organization is in a much better place with fan interest, and people laugh like, well, if it was about relevancy and ticket sales and jersey sales, you need those things to be an attractive option for people who, let's say Bradley Beal wants to be traded. If Bradley Beal wants to be traded, and he can only get traded to teams that have the ability to trade for him, well, if the Sixers are one of those teams, he has to want to play for that team. Correct. Jimmy Butler wanted to get traded to Philadelphia. He was open to be traded to Philadelphia. Why? Because they had Joel Embiid on the team. Because the stadium is filled every single night. If the 76ers have a half-empty building with a bunch of B-level players, the Jimmy Butler type of trade is not a possibility. Like, all these Sixer fans want to go get Dame Lillard. Well, the only reason you can get Dane Lillard is because the building's filled every single night and you have Joel Embiid. If you don't have Joel Embiid and the building's empty, you're not getting Dane Lillard to say, you know what I want to, you don't want me, trade me. And you know where I'd like to go? Like if Portland says, hey, where would you like to be traded? I'll give you four options. Well, Philadelphia is on that list. Now, you also have to understand what we just talked about. It's so hard to get a superstar. So, you're not getting one in free agency. Kevin Durant's not becoming a free agent and saying, you know where I'd really like to sign? Philadelphia sounds like a great spot. Really quick, if I can jump in, because people forget about the Cleveland Cavaliers were a nothing franchise till LeBron got there. And the only reason why LeBron went to Cleveland again is because he's from the Ohio area. He was drafted by them. You, If you're a franchise and you don't have a guy that you drafted, you're never getting a guy in free agency to be the building piece. This isn't the NFL or the NHL or Major League Baseball where you can get a guy via trader free agency. Like when the Phillies years ago got Jim Tomey, who helped lay the foundation for what later became a championship team or a team like, you know, these teams in hockey, for example, you know, Wayne Gretzky went to the Kings, and the Kings became relevant back in the late 80s and early 90s. That doesn't happen in basketball. You know, the Bulls were a nothing burger before Jordan got there. They were a nothing burger after he left. Nobody cared about the Bulls anymore after the superstar was gone. It is a very difficult sport, as the championship list shows. 
You know, you go back and look at the champions, okay, Golden State. And people will say, well, Golden State didn't lose on purpose. Eh, not really. I mean, did they lose on purpose? Here's the problem. They were losing. This is the problem. The Sixers (laughs) announced they were losing on purpose. These other teams just didn't announce it. Right. Golden State was horrible. They were worse than the Sixers were. They were. The the, the Golden State Warriors pre-this Warriors incarnation were a bad basketball franchise. Horrible franchise. Well, they drafted number seven. They got Steph Curry. And Curry far exceeded the expectations of who he was going to be when he got drafted. Then they landed a guy like Clay Thompson. They did a really good job of finding, of hitting on draft choices that are generally spots in the draft that don't work out. Right. Because in the NBA, just because you have the top pick doesn't mean it's going to work either way. The no, but it is, definitely helps. No, but the idea I was going to say is that no matter what, when you go into the draft, you're you're basically playing roulette. You're hoping to land on the number yeah, but or the part. Your chances of hitting on a guy go up big time drafting one or two. It, it does help, yes. My point is, is that the teams that we're talking about that don't win a championship, like, for example, the Thunder have never won a championship, right? They've been to one NBA final since been in Oklahoma City. And that's because they were so bad in Seattle, they got Kevin Durant. And then they were so bad years later that they got Russell Westbrook. Uh, well, not years like the- later. They were bad. They had Durant. They were bad. They got Durant. They were bad again because they Durant got- was a rookie. They got Westbrook. Right. They were bad again, and they got Harden. Right. And then all of a sudden, you have Durant, Harden, and Westbrook as those guys started to play with each other. You have three talented players that were drafted in the top five, and all of a sudden, voila. How does Oklahoma City become a team that goes to the NBA Finals? Well, you're bad Three times, you got three players in the top five. But guess what? They went to one NBA Finals, and that was it. And that's and that's the Well, the problem money. was they couldn't afford to re-sign those players because they're in a market that free agents don't want to go to or they don't want to stay. Right. That's part of it, too. But my, my larger point is— but That's the bigger you- problem is you could draft that player, okay? I have Kevin Durant. I only get him for so long in most cases. Now— I'm Milwaukee, and I have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, he's another guy. I didn't draft him number one or two. I got him randomly at what? I think he was like 16th, somewhere around there. he was 15th pick. And you luck out that you took this guy that nobody knew about, and he turns into the best. That is rare. These are rare instances. You look at the teams that are winning, you know, the Lakers that won that championship in 2020. Anthony Davis was the number one overall pick, and so was LeBron James. They got two number one picks on that team. And they realistically foibled their way into that roster because the Lakers for so many years were drafting at the top of the draft, guys like D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram, and they basically just packaged all the people that they drafted and said, all right, well, we're going to hope Anthony Davis stays healthy, and they, again, won how many championships? One so far. It's hard to win in the NBA. It's really, really difficult when it's – you have to have that level of player. And one of the few ways to get that level of player is either drafting that guy who generally comes pretty high in the draft or landing him in free agency, which is what the Lakers did. They were in big-time trouble. Yep. They got LeBron in free agency. Well, there's only so many teams that are landing that level of free agent that 
are landing the player that is good enough to help them win a championship in free agency. I mean, we're talking about Le- LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. Not too many other guys are even on that level where you could say, if that guy left in free agency, that team is now going to win a championship. And that's the bigger problem. There's not, as I said earlier, there's not enough guys to go around for everybody to have a chance. This is not the NFL where every, there's everybody has a chance to win practically most seasons. No, you look back. So the last X amount of championships, you got Golden State, Milwaukee, L.A., Toronto, Golden State, Golden State, Cleveland, Golden State, the Spurs, Miami, Miami, Dallas, L.A., L.A., Boston, the Spurs again, Miami, the Spurs again. I mean, you go back to 2005, I mean, the Spurs won. Why? Because they had Duncan, who was the number one pick in the draft. How'd they get Duncan? They tanked. They tanked. I mean, the the Spurs For those who don't remember, David Robinson got injured. And the Spurs said, well, Robinson's injured. We're just not going to try anymore. They made a decision. They made a calculated decision, and it landed them the first overall. Well, and this year, this year, they haven't made the playoffs in four straight years, the Spurs. But they have had the DeRozans. Mm -hmm. They had DeJounta Murray. They had players that were kind of like where the Sixers were. You know, they had like that low-level all-star. Like, the Sixers had Drew Holiday and Andre Iguodala. They had DeMar DeRozan and DeJounta Murray. They were like... Uh, not good enough to make the uh, to be a championship team, and they were kind of only, you know, they were like the 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 ninth or tenth team in right. the conference. But they had two all star level players on the team. Didn't matter. And the Spurs decided finally, you know what? Instead of just being stuck in the middle here, let's go in a different direction. They trade Demar Derozan. They trade Dejounte Murray. They've got a boatload of draft picks now. Now they end up with the number one pick in the draft. See, it's impactful for them. Sometimes you, Detroit, for instance, who has lost a lot. I mean, they got Cade Cunningham last year. Um, they only won 17 games this year. My God, they're, they're worse this year than they were when they started this whole situation. But sometimes you get that number one pick or that number two pick, and there's just not a player in the draft that's impactful enough to change your fortunes. And so that gets back to the point which Van Gunn is bringing up. Yes. The idea that people are so focused on winning championships, when actually winning championships – is the least attainable thing on the list. Well, Winning I in the think... regular season is something that fans should appreciate because at the end of the day, the likelihood of you winning a championship is really low. I think this goes back to the core of the conversation, which is teams want to win championships, and they have to tell that message to their fans. Sure. But ultimately... They're smart enough to understand how hard it is to win a championship. And if it's going to be that hard to be a championship team, we might as well be a team that people have a lot of interest in. That people enjoy going to watch. That people think can win a championship. Even though we don't, Mm -hmm. you still think we can. Right. And just because we don't, if you go into the season at the beginning of the year and saying, they can do it this year. They're good enough to do it. That's where these teams want to be. Yeah, everybody wants to win the championship, but you understand how hard it is to do it. It is irrational to say it's championship or bust. However, the actions of these teams is saying, if you don't win the championship, you're getting fired. You're not good enough. That's a bad message because you're now saying, 
Our regular season doesn't matter. And that's a bad business decision. You know what I'm saying? It kind of counteracts the business aspect of it as a team is, okay, we fired our coach because we couldn't win the championship. But part of the thing is we go in knowing that we, we, we're not, we're not, the, the chances of us winning a title, look, the Sixers, Vegas odds at one point, they had the highest odds of ever, they had the best odds of everybody three weeks ago. They won that game, game one, or game five. They beat Boston in game five. And according to Vegas, they had the best odds in the entire league to win the championship. It's a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty big message right there, right? It is. And I think that the part of that message has to be moving forward that fans and teams have to accept that you might not win a championship every year. And that's okay. Because you know what? You got a good team. You enjoyed the season. You got a Dame Lord in Portland. Generational talent. Okay, so the team can win a championship. You know, the, the idea that Dirk had to wait until the end of his career to win a championship. But that's okay. It's not the end of the world. Coming up, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, the question is this. What's your favorite fruit? I'll explain next. Now, back to... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus... You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. More sports bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 452 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, listening KJM this morning heard a pretty interesting conversation, which got me thinking. Jay Will got into a little Mount Rushmore of fruit. Take a listen to what he said. This is this morning on KJM. What's your Mount Rushmore of fruit? I'll go grapes. I'll go mango. Ooh, good one. I love mango. Whoa, how'd I overlook mango? Um, I'll go banana. And then I'll go, I'll go with the classic apple, man. But you're not walking into, you're like, you're not going to get an apple. You're not going to get a banana. No, I would totally go get a banana. Yeah, I don't man. buy apples from my crib. All right, I got a lot of thoughts on this one here, okay? I can't wait to hear you. I'm a big fruit guy. All right. I love fruit. It's an open-ended thing, but okay, go ahead. One, my top five fruits. It's top four, Mount Rushmore. I got it, but I got one five, okay? Number one, first off, overrated. My most overrated fruit is the mango. I feel like mango sounds and it makes you feel like it's tropical and it's going to be like this great. But the mango seems to disappoint if you just eat the mango like a mango. If you put it with something else, like in a drink or like a fruit bar, different. But if you just, how many people just eat a mango? They don't. I don't know anybody. Yeah. All right. So my favorite five fruits. His were terrible. Oh, they're terrible, you say? Yeah, none of them made my list. None of them? What did he say? Grapes? He said grapes. Obviously not mango. Mango. And then he said... Banana. Banana and, and apple. A, and an apple. Yeah. Keyshawn's right. I'm not going to get him seeking out an apple. Why not? If it's in the house, like if I buy a bag of apples, fine. 
These are the five. Five. Pineapple. When you get a very well freshly cut pineapple, there's nothing better. When it's sometimes it can be a little tart, but when you get a freshly cut one, beautiful. Number four. No one ever talks about it. The pear. When you get a nice, perfectly ripe pear, it's nice and soft. Pear. The pear is underrated. Three. The orange. The orange family. But the orange. You get a nice orange. When you can peel it perfectly and those things just fold out. The orange. Number three. Number two. Oh, man. Is there anything better than just a beautifully ripe cantaloupe? I mean, where the juice is just flowing out of that thing. The cantaloupe is like a flavor burst in your mouth. It's fantastic. And the number one is the peach. The peach is the answer to the Mount Rushmore of fruit. He is the George Washington of the fruit. The peach, people. The peach. Jay Will, your list is booty. I don't like your list either, so there you go. Honorable mention, green grapes. The green plum. The plum. The plum. And the honeydew. You eat honeydew by itself, dude? Yeah, you get the green honeydew with the orange cantaloupe. Cantaloupe and honeydew together with pineapple. That's the mix you get with some strawberry. Peach, cantaloupe, orange, pear, pineapple. That's my top fruits. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Five o'clock, Sports Bash. So... My fruit, <laughs> my fruit is not being well received by some. Others liked it. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Jeff Mosher was listening. He said to me, he texted me, not on the text board, on my private phone. 100% nothing beats a freshly cut pineapple. Are you on board with that? I'm on board with the pineapple. I think that you, you I think I would put off a higher on your list if I were you. Pineapple? Yeah. Yeah, pineapple's one of those things, though. Here's the problem with the pineapple for me. You got to cut it. You got to do the whole. There's too much work involved. It's good when someone else does the work for you. You go to the store, and it's, like, cut up and already into, like, the mix. Oh, well, now now we're going into, yo. Yeah, because I'm not buying a pineapple and bringing it home with me and then doing the whole thing. Well, all right. Like, somebody texted in a watermelon. There's a lot that goes into the watermelon. Jay in Atlantic City says, who just eats a mango? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who goes to the store and just buys mango? To me, I like things like mango, honeydew, them with other things. Yeah, well, he said big pear guy, clementine. Now, uh, the clementine, like they're, I said, the orange, the tangerine, like the they're family. all in the family. The grapefruit. Yeah, like any of that, the grapefruit I could do without. Oh, like I my love grandmother grapefruit. used to eat grapefruit. I love grapefruit. Yeah, like, um... I like an apple, but it's not one of my, like, I'm not like, oh, this apple's great. I'm particular about my apples. I think certain apples you are go better Granny than Smith? No, I'm more of a Macintosh, Macintosh, Cosmic Crisp guy. The pink Lady, are you? 
Yeah, pink ladies. Are you like a green apple or a red apple? Red apple. Got to go red apple. I'm a red apple. Are you a green grape or a purple grape? Both. You like them both. I like to get them both and mix them in a bowl together. It's not bad. I mean, they don't have a, like, I like a good green. You get some bad green green grapes, and you're like, eh. How about a blueberry? Blueberries are fresh. I love blueberries. Yeah, I like a blueberry. I, I love in fact, a... this morning for breakfast, yeah. I had blueberries, and I put them in my blueberry yogurt. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Strawberry, eh. I love a good strawberry. All right. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. You guys are hitting me up on the text board hard, 609-403-0973. Uh, FYI, Mazio's in Northfield has a pineapple cutter that cuts the core and slices into five pieces in about five seconds. Yeah. I mean, I have like one of those apple ones too, where you can decore it mm-hmm. and then the apple slices fall out. I do that with a little peanut butter. Okay. That yeah. works. I like that. Mike, you got to do the strawberries. Jeff from Summers Point. Eh, I'm kind of out on the strawberry. I mean, sometimes they can be really like tart. I feel like me and Jeff Summers Point can hang out. That's Matt and Kate May wants to know how I can ha- not have nectarine on the list. I-, I told you why the nectarine is out. I mean, it's not out, but, but it's part, like, of the family, you know? Yeah, you put orange, nectarine, tangerine. Well, nectarine is in the peach family. Okay. Yeah, nectarine is like a peach, a plum, but it's more in the peach family. A tangerine okay. you're thinking of. Tangerine, Tangerine yeah. would be in the orange family. The nectarine is in the peach. I love a peach. So you're more peach than I am. I'm not big a peach time guy. Peach, big peach fan. Maybe you need to move to Georgia. Maybe. But the plum, I like a good plum as well, but not quite on the nectarine. Or, but the peach and the nectarine are in the same family there, Matt, in K-Made Courthouse. All right, uh, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Uh, blueberry lemon combo. I'm not trying the lemon, sorry. But uh, what I will try, uh, we had a conversation with Paul Hudrick on what's happening with this Sixer thing. Five takeaways he had from the press conference yesterday. It's a pretty important conversation with this offseason and where we stand. Earlier, there's a report that Harden pushed Rivers out, and this is coming from the staff, right? The staff of the Sixers basically said they felt that Harden pushed him out, that he is responsible. So where does that leave the team? Yesterday, Daryl Morey, kind of an uninspiring press conference. I'm a Morey fan, but I, I wasn't all that inspired by him talking yesterday. So let's start with that. Paul Hudrick, uh, are you buying that it was Maury's decision to fire Doc Rivers? Yeah, I think it ultimately has to be his decision because, you know, I don't think ownership was, you know, they had to pay Doc Rivers the next two years. He still had two years under his contract. Um, And for not a little bit of money for a head coach. So they're going to have to pay Doc Rivers and they're going to have to pay a new coach. Speaking of ownership. So I don't think ownership was probably super eager to, to have Daryl Morey come to them and present them with it. And um, look, I, we've seen reporting come out, you know, that that James Harden and Doc Rivers didn't get along and, and all that. Maybe that's a factor, but I don't think, you know, I, I can't imagine that's the thing because there's no guarantee that James Harden's here. So if you're making decisions based solely around what James Harden wants or what he doesn't like, um, that seems like a recipe for disaster. Uh, and I think too, Mike, I think you actually hit on it on, on the other day is it, the sense I'm getting is they see who's available. They see that, you know, Mike Budenholz is out there. Monty Williams is out there. Nick Nurse. These really, really good coaches are out there who, quite frankly, I think those three names alone I just mentioned would all be upgrades over Doc Rivers. So 
with those names out there, this seems like an opportune time to go out there and look for a coach. Funny, it's like uh, coaching ring around the rosy here, right? I mean, you're going to get uh, Monty Williams to fill Budenholzer's job, Budenholzer to fill Doc's <laughs> job, Doc to fill Monty's job. Uh, what is the messaging that is going on, you know, in the NBA right now where, you know, there's all this stuff. The Sixers are one of only X amount of teams that make it to the second round, X amount of straight year. I mean, they've had, for not reaching the pinnacle... They have been one of the most successful franchises, as have the Suns, as has the Bucks, as has as have the Raptors. Like, what is going on right now, where this level of coach is simply not good enough? Uh, surely, like the the player empowerment thing is, is a big part of this because, you know, it, it's much easier to fire a head coach and is to rebuild the roster. And if you're looking to make big changes. After, you know, a, a big dramatic loss, like, I mean, kind of the, the, let's just go through the names you kind of just mentioned. I mean, obviously, Doc Rivers, the way they went down in game seven and flamed out. Something's got to change, right? Like something has to change with the Sixers. Well, if you're planning to bring James Harden back and kind of run back the roster, you kind of have to get rid of the coach because you have to do something drastic, something different. Uh, Phoenix, same deal. I mean, they, they also I mean, granted, different circumstances, they literally are missing two starters. But a very embarrassing way for them to end their season. Um, and that was after last year when they lost to Dallas and got crushed um, in a Game 7 at home. Uh, Budenholzer, they're the number one seed. They lose to an eight seed. That never happened. So I just think, you know, it, you can't the, – the roster is so much harder to manipulate. It's so much harder to fix. So the, the route that most people go is the coach. A lot of times you're right. Yes, they go to the coach because the players. And part of the problem with this team is something that Daryl said. I want to get your take on, you know, option A, scenario A, James comes back. Scenario B is he walks, but we think we have the tools to upgrade. You can't, you know, they fire the coach because they can't do a lot with this roster. Do they have the tools to upgrade if James walks? I don't know what those tools are. I am really curious to know what they are because, I mean, they don't have draft capital. They literally don't have a pick this year. They don't have much going forward. They can't move their first rounder um, until, you know, either the day of the draft, obviously, or until 2029. They have no cap space. Um, even if James Harden walks, they can't just use that space. Uh, I mean, you have Tobias's, Tobias Harris's contract that you can move. But I don't know how much value is there. It's expiring and it's a lot of money. And, and maybe you get, you figure, I mean, I'll say this with Maury. Say what you want about the guy. He is very creative. He finds ways. He, he kind of gets it. He's been kind of always been able to escape out of jams. I mean, think about when he first got here, um, uh, you know, draft night. He flips Al Horford and Josh Richardson and brings in Danny Green and Seth Curry. And that roster is good enough to get the one seed in the Eastern Conference um, you know, so I, I, he is creative. If anyone can do it, um, Darren Moore is a guy who can certainly find ways to manipulate money and find ways to manipulate roster spots and all that and do it. Um, but like I said, as I sit here, I don't see it. I don't see what those tools are, but I, I would be curious if he does walk. I really want to know what those tools are. <laughs> um, after hearing everything that has happened, hearing yesterday's press conference, reading some of the stuff, you know, hey, um, the, the the assistant coaches, I guess uh, your former guy over there, Jake Fisher, uh, now with Yahoo, reported that, hey, 
the staff with if they're saying the staff feels that hard and I would imagine Sam Cassell's probably not going to get this job but hey James Harden's the one that pushed him out the door here with all of that does this really show that Maury is doing everything he can to make a push to get Harden back here at a max deal well, if Mike D'Antoni is the next coach of your Philadelphia 76ers, then I would say yes. Um, it really does look like they're catering to Harden in a big way. And I'm not I'm not sure it's the way to go. Uh, like, like we talked about, I get that if Harden walks, you're not left with a lot of options. You're not left with an easy path to replace him. Like you can't just go out and get Bradley Beal or Zach Levine because you just don't have the assets to do that. If you did want to do that, you're, you're giving up a Tyrese Maxey, which doesn't feel like – a prudent move and doesn't really feel like that much of an upgrade um, to, to, to do. So uh, as of now, I, I I'm willing to give Maury like some benefit of the doubt because I think, I think it, it made sense to move on from Doc Rivers again, from the perspective I talked about with them getting crushing game seven with so many good options being open. So I think I give him the benefit of the doubt there, but if they hired Dan Tony, yeah, that, that's got me thinking that they're catering some stuff to James, and I, I don't know that that's the, the right call. Well, I was going to say, what's the message then to Joel Embiid? How does he react exactly. to that? You know, Joel said, I'm not getting involved in the hard and stuff. It's like uh, uh, T.O. and McNabb, you know? Like, T.O. didn't want to stay, was mad because McNabb never went to management for him. Harden, uh, Embiid's like, I'm staying out of this mess. Whatever they do is fine. But he also did say, hey, I think James and I can win together, but... What is the messaging to Embiid then? Well, if they hire D'Antoni, I, I I would be curious what the message is to Embiid. Uh, now, some other coaches on that list you could argue would cater more towards Embiid, like Monty Williams. Uh, they they spent time together when he, when Monty was in Philadelphia. As far as I know, they had a really good working relationship. So that's the way that maybe you're catering to Joel Embiid a little bit. Um, or, or, you know, you could just – hire the best guy for the job, whoever that is. Um, and maybe it's a Mike Budenholzer or a Nick Nurse where neither of those guys really has a, a – you, would, you wouldn't look at either of those guys and say like, okay, they're bringing this guy in because he fits James Harden or they're bringing that guy in because he fits Joel Embiid. So um, I, I think if it's Dan Tony, I, I think Maury is going to have to have a real long, hard talk with Joel Embiid to figure out what makes sense because I, I – I, I, the, the idea, and I, I've seen it reported, the idea that Harden wants this, whatever, freedom in an offense, he wants to be this, the focal point. At 33 years old, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I get he showed flashes and, like, sometimes, but, like, he can't be the focal point of an offense, especially, like, you have the MVP of the NBA, and you're talking about being the focal point of an offense. And on top of that, Mike, he says, but I also want a competitive team. Uh, just speaking frankly, I'm not trying to, 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 you know, pour on James Harden here, but like what competitive team is going to shell out the money and then also make you the focal point of their offense? Name one competitor that would do that because I don't think that exists. Right. Yeah. I, I have a hard time thinking a team is willing to build their team around James Harden at this stage. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, uh, some of the takeaways. Um, Maury blamed himself, essentially. You know, he was asked a question, and he said, I'm the blame, which I don't have a problem with. He's saying my roster's not good enough, but I, I, I don't I don't have a problem with him saying that. I don't know that that's accurate. The, the Maury thing is weird to me. I like Maury. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's done a good job. 
But he is clearly putting himself now under the microscope, which he doesn't care. He gets fired, whatever. He didn't even want to take this job originally. He just kind of, you know, uh, was asked to do it. Yeah, sure. Why not? But now, would you agree that he is clearly the, the sand is going through the hourglass on him? Well, certainly. I mean, if this year. Or do you think he's one of these guys that has the ear of ownership and that he really can do no wrong? No, look, I don't I don't know if anyone um, is quite there unless you're like, you know, Pat Riley or something like I I don't think anyone is really at that level. Um, I I think, you know, Maurice and he said it, too, like you said, like I'm I'm here to do a job, a job that we didn't get done. And that falls on me. So, yeah, I mean, when it gets to a point where. You fire the head coach, and now let's say he brings back James Harden. And now the other thing I would say too, Mike, is I do think him and, and Doc Rivers got along maybe more than people realize, but at the same time, he didn't hire Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers was hired, and then Daryl Morey was hired. So now this is Morey's chance to pick a new coach. He has James Harden here if he can bring James Harden back. So now it's to a point where, okay, this is your team. You built this. You have the players you want. You have the coach you want. If this doesn't work... It's all on you. So I think that's where it's at now. And I think, like you said, Moore is a smart guy. He knows it. He gets that. And that's I think that was what the the the, the point of his message was yesterday was like, yeah, like it, it's you know it it time ran out for Doc. Eventually, time's going to run out for me. And, and that's just the reality of being you know in the NBA. And it's a results driven business. And when you don't win, you don't advance past the second round. When you don't win a championship, this is what happens. Yeah, I know. Um... You know, I, I like the whole Maury thing is weird because he got here and this people have to remember this, Paul, right? When he got here, this team got swept in the first round and it felt like this roster was in shambles going in the opposite direction. You had Horford who looked like just he was spent. Now, of course, he goes to the playoffs and he, he's part of the reason why he helps you, uh, helps Boston, but at the, he didn't fit well here. You had Josh Richardson. You had no shooting. You got swept and it was like, how are we going to get rid of these guys? So he basically came into a spot where he had to clean the team up for a couple of years. But I guess now is, as you just kind of hinted at, he cleaned that situation up, but now he's kind of, <laughs> It's kind of stuck again on, okay, how do I further fixing where I'm at? It almost feels like the team they just had was his best patchwork that he could do from the mess they had two years ago. Well, I think it's an easy thing for people to forget about, but that 2020 draft night was like legitimately one of the best nights a Sixers executives probably ever had. He makes the two trades you talked about. He drafts Tyrese Maxey, who looks like he's going to be a franchise cornerstone. He takes Paul Reed with one of the last picks of the second round who, you know, eliminated the issue of a backup center this postseason. None of us complained about a backup center this year because of Paul Reed. Um, so... I think that's easy to forget. Now, granted, it was 2020. It is now 2023. It's definitely a what have you done for me lately thing. The other thing I'll say, though, is, and this isn't to make excuses. This isn't to say, you know, but game six, they're up 83-81 with five minutes to go with a chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they don't close it out. That's as close as they, I mean, other than, you know, obviously Kawhi hitting a uh, gravity-defying shot. But other than that, like, how that's as close as they've gotten. Yeah. I mean, they were right there. They should have won that game. They blow it. it. There's no excuse. Boston was a better team. They wind up winning the series. But my point in saying that is he built a roster 
that had the Boston Celtics on the ropes in game six, a chance to close it out, and they just couldn't get it done. So it's not like to me, and I think the one thing that Maury said, again, that people are losing sight of, there are like 26 teams that would prefer to have the Sixers roster over what they have right now, right? Like it's just, they made it that far. Like, so it's, I get the emotion of game seven. I get how ugly it was. I get people want to see changes. I, all of these things, like I totally understand. I think everyone has a right to feel that way. But I think with all of that, we're losing a little bit of sight about that. This was I like the best team that the Sixers have probably had since that Jimmy Butler year. And in some ways you could argue maybe it was a little bit better. Yeah. And the only, I guess the only question built off of that, if I'm peeling the onion is, okay, I, this was the best team I had, but I'm not sure that I can better it. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is uh, this is why you pay Daryl Morey a lot of money. This is why he is supposed to be one of the best executives in the NBA because you don't have a lot. Even if you bring James Harden back, you have what? You have Paul Reed who's a restricted free agent. You have uh, George Niang, uh, Jake Milton. Jake Milton, yeah. Uh, the missing one guy, I think, in that mix. But we, you, anyway, you have nobody of multiple, consequence. Sure, uh, but you have multiple free agents. Um, and you're not going to be able to re-sign all of them. And you're, again, you're not going to have, I think they might have like the one, like the taxpayer mid-level exception. They've got a trade exception, I think, for Thibel. Um, so they'll, they'll have some, so they'll have something to play with. And then obviously veteran minimum contracts for guys that maybe want to play with Harden, want to play with Embiid and try to chase a ring. Um, and then don't forget too, like uh, Tobias Harris's contract is expiring Maybe that can be moved for something, not anything great, but maybe you can get a depth wing or a backup center to help mitigate the guys you might lose in free agency. So, yeah, I I mean, as you sit here, yeah, the the idea it sounds like is run it back, but I think you run it back to your point, Mike, you run it back with improvements. Like you're going to have to make some other moves around the edges to just get that much better. And again, I think what Maury said was, you need to be. We needed to be one point better in one more game in the second round, and that's true. So now you need to look at all the angles to get that one point game, one point better in one game in the second round. Jalen McDaniels, by the way, is a free agent. Uh, he's the other. Yes, guy. there it is. Which they did make a trade for him, and they did give up, you know, a player in Thibel. So that's we'll see. I mean, obviously he wasn't effective in the Celtics series, but they were very high on him when they drafted him. I thought he did some good things. During the season in the Brooklyn series, but the Celtics series, he clearly um, was overmatched. Um, you believe that the players will not have input on the, the next head coach? No, I don't think that's – I. you're going to tell me that they're not going to talk to Joel Embiid and James Harden at all? Um, I think that's crazy. Um, I, I get what Maury – I guess what the, the message he's trying to deliver is that it's going to be – kind of what we talked about at the top. It's his decision. It was his decision to let Doc go. It's his decision on who the next coach is going to be, and I think he wanted to maybe he's trying to make that clear. But to think, again, if if you re-sign, if the plan is to re-sign James Harden, you think that's going to happen, and you bring Mike D'Antoni on board, there has to be a conversation with Joel Embiid about that before you go ahead and do it, right? Like, you can't just go into that and do it and then be like, oh, yeah, by the way, Joel, we're bringing in James well, Harden's coach I, not the, from you, when he was in Houston. Joel and D'Antoni have to have some relationship. He was here. Sure. Yeah. I don't remember. Was no. he here when Joel was hurt? Or was that when, I mean, he, no, was, he was He was back when Joel was playing, right? He, he was back when Joel was playing. But it was only for one year. And it was a weird situation. Um, Colangelo brought him on to be like an assistant head coach. It was a 
he almost felt like he wanted to make D'Antoni the coach and, and fire Brett Brown, but it didn't kind of work out that way. It was a weird situation. But anyway, um, but still, I mean, it's not, but it's nothing like what Mike D'Antoni and James Harden had. You know what I mean? Like right, they, right, right. That was, he was the guy who, who you know, helped make James Harden an MVP, just like Doc Rivers was the guy who helped make Joel Embiid an MVP. So um, there would be some things at odds there with me. I, I That's why I am man. Like, uh, it's a shame because I think D'Antoni's actually a, a very good coach. But when you add that Harden factor in there, it just makes me concerned that if stuff goes south, um, it feels like it could go very south very quickly. Yeah, uh, that one, I, I almost, right, because now you're appeasing James Harden. You've almost put him above Embiid in terms of level of importance, whose voice matters more. And this reminds me, not that we're at that spot, but, you know, the Ben stuff kind of started like, hey, Ben doesn't want to come back. And you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. No, Ben's not happy with what happened after the playoffs. Eh, he'll get over it. No, Ben's not happy until he didn't show up. You know, it finally got to a point. You wonder if Joel's like, okay, you've pushed me far enough. You know, I want out. And, and, and that's the concern if you hire Dan Tony without any input from him. Well, on top of that, you already have Daryl Morey admitting that Joel Embiid was not thrown. They fired Doc Rivers. Um, and we can all debate. Uh, I think, you know, it, it, for me, it's it's probably the right decision to move on from Doc Rivers, but you still have to factor in the feelings of the MVP of the league and your best player, the guy who's kind of who has been the cornerstone of the franchise for what? I mean, since he got here, since or at least since he's been playing since 2016, he's been the, the cornerstone of the franchise. So his feelings have to be in there. Yeah. Um, I, I get. Hey, unless secretly. Yeah. They're hoping he asks, and they say, he asked for the trade. We didn't oh, want to move boy. him. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not <laughs> go there. Because, and for me, Mike, I, I really feel strongly that, because there's a lot of, been a lot of stuff thrown out there. I know even Brian Tapork, who um, I love dearly, who writes for Liberty Ballers, who I completely disagree with on the topic. Um, I don't think Joel Embiid is going anywhere unless he nudges behind the scenes, and I don't have any indication that that's going to be a thing. But to your point, if they fire the coach he want, likes, if they bring in a coach to appease James Harden, and then if things maybe are going south when the season starts, yeah, maybe you're maybe that's well, when he gets a little antsy. It feels like this is just the world we live in, you know. Where Paul Hudrick, by the way, from Liberty Ballers, is is with me. Where you know you have a guy, and then you don't win, and you get bored of that guy. He was the fun toy. We loved him. And then it's like, all right, we've seen this for six, seven years. It's time to kind of make a change. Look what's going on in Portland right now. I mean, Lillard's been like, hey, I don't want to leave this place. And now because they're not winning, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, we can't win with this guy. Move him. And this guy's like, hey, I've done everything. I've tried to stay here for you guys. I've wanted to be a Portland trailblazer. And now all of a sudden he's getting getting these people that are basically like hey man why don't you go find a trade because you can't win here it's just kind of like the society that we live in it feels like this whole hey he's our guy we want him to be a lifer has been pushed aside to you were fun when you were young but now you're getting old and and you can't we can't win with you yeah and excuse me i get the idea of like you know maybe ultimately you can't win with joel Embiid, but I think it's better to find out if you can't 
rather than just yeah. <clears throat> give up early. Yeah. Uh, Paul, yeah, get yourself some water real fast, man. Get yourself a, a little cup, to, cup of uh, water. In there. I see you got the water. I'll, I'll fill in for you for a second. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, uh, we got plenty of the – now, he was on Tuesday. We asked him about the coaching different candidates out there uh, that have been – now, one of the reports today, I guess – is that that they're the six. They're not going outside of those guys. There's not going to be some, you know, JJ Reddick, who apparently is the betting favorite to be the next head coach. What doesn't appear they're going to go down that road. So it's going to be one of these six guys that we've talked about. Vogel, Monty Williams, Budenholzer, um, who am I forgetting there? Nick Nurse. And Sam Gissell, they would be the guys that uh, are are on the list right now. So uh, that seemingly is the direction. But um, when we look at where this team is this offseason, for you, Paul, what is, is it James Harden decision, making sure Embiid's happy, or the coaching decision? What is at the top of the list of importance? To me, it's making sure Joel Embiid is happy. Uh, that would be at the top of my list. Now – what Harden does and how that situation plays out, that's going to shape everything. Because if he walks, um, like we talked about, that's you know scenario B with the tools more he says he has available, he's going to have to get pretty creative, I would think. And um, I'm not sure if they're going to be as competitive. Like, I, like, quite frankly speaking, I mean, say what you want about James Harden. The Sixers were the three seed this year. They were the best team in the NBA from December on. They took the Boston Celtics to seven games in the second round. If you lose James Harden and there's no clear replacement for him, which I don't know that there would be, I don't know that this team can have that amount of success. I just don't. Um, and I love Tyrese Maxey. I think Tyrese Maxey has a chance to be an all-star caliber player. I think he's that good. Uh, but wh- where are you replacing that Harden playmaking? Where are you replacing his passing? Um, you can't just put DeAnthony Melton in the starting lineup and then say, okay, uh, let's see what we got. I mean, yeah, you, you, I'll say this. You'd be a better defensive team. Uh, that's for sure. But your offense would suffer uh, flat out. Um, so you would need some type of point guard to fill in some type of playmaker. And again, I, I don't know where you're getting that guy without giving up Tyrese Maxey. And I don't know that that's the right move. So that's why to me, like, yeah, the, the priority is making Joel Embiid happy to to, to be a contender. Um, and But the Harden situation just looms over everything because whatever he decides – that's kind of where you have to go from there. Um, but even if he resigns, Mike, I, I'm not just hiring again, not just hiring Mike D'Antoni just to appease him. I'm hiring the guy I think is the best guy to to lead this team, the best guy to help James Harden and Joel Embiid coexist. If I am in fact bringing back James Harden, so um, level of importance, yeah. And listen, I, I think that coach is, is you and I agree that. It's the most overrated thing in the world. That not to say these guys, some of these guys aren't great at what they do. Yeah, but there are only a few select coaches that are just impactful, Hall of Fame. Like one of them is coaching right now, and Eric's. And really, look at the Final Four. Like Eric Spolster is really the only guy who I would say, yep, that guy might be the best coach in the NBA, future Hall of Famer. I, Mike Joe Mazzulla is in his first year. Darvin Ham's in his first year. Uh, Michael Malone seems like he is a pretty good coach, but, uh, you know, this is his real first run. Um, you know, he, he made the Western Conference Finals once. So, it's it, yes, coaching matters, but uh, it doesn't matter to the, to, to, the, to the amount that people think. And I think another thing that Maury said was key was this. He didn't fire Doc Rivers because he thinks he's a bad coach or any of that. 
He fired Doc Rivers because fit. He wasn't sure that maybe the, maybe the, one of these guys that is out there is a better fit for this team, for Joel Embiid, for James Harden, for the Sixers organization. Yeah, uh, what's going on with uh, – I read that Spolster article in The Athletic the other day, and I thought there was a lot of eye-opening stuff in there about – you know, is he a good tactician? Sure, he comes up with good, but the culture that he sets, you know, the what he demands from those players on off days. People talk about the Butler. We're talking about Butler. Butler has been tremendous, but people forget he didn't have a great game seven when he was here. I mean, that game seven against Toronto, 16 yeah. points, one of six. You know, does Spolstra get more out of Butler than Brett Brown was able to? I mean, who knows? But and Jimmy's just better too. I mean, that's part of it too. He's he's older, he's wiser. Yeah. And, well, um, it's that, funny. And, I don't know. Yeah. Did you see Michael Caskey Blomain's poll that he pulled back from 2019? I did not. So it asked, all things considered, which guy would you rather keep, Harris or Butler? That poll from March of 2019, 91 percent said they rather keep Harris. That's wild. What? Yeah, I and, couldn't. I could not believe it because every night now you got to see we had this guy, yeah. right? And it's like, right? Apparently, I don't remember. Like, I it's not clear in my mind of like who won it what because there was a lot happening at that time. And that's what it is. And Mike, we're still like we literally still find out details, right? Like we have random people reporting like, oh yeah, by the way, this happened. You're like, whoa, wait, that happened? Um, because you know you, you have the famous Jimmy Butler thing where he's saying Tobias Harris over me, and it's like. Actually, it was more like Ben Simmons or maybe even Al Horford over you, more so than Tobias Harris. Yeah. They could have brought that's it, like they could have brought both guys back. You remember that the theme after that year was run it back, bring them both back, Harris and Butler. Um, which they could have financially under the cap, they could have done that. They right. could have made and that the, happen. Their thought process with Horford was Embiid missed so much time right. that they wanted to get a serviceable guy that if Embiid ever did miss a lot of time, they had Horford. The problem was playing them together they didn't envision was going to be a problem. And by the way, Horford was not very good when he was here. He wasn't. You know what's? I think about it now. This version of Horford and this version of, of Embiid – they probably could have made it work. Isn't that funny to think about? Like, they probably could have made it work now because Horford, um, you know, ha- has really, like, learned on offense. Like, I got to take threes. Like, I-, I don't have the mobil- mobility I once had. Like, I have to take threes, and it's what I have to do. Um, and you could have – you could do what the Celtics did. You could have Al Horford guarding the centers and Joel Embiid as your roamer to just protect the rim like Robert Williams does. Yeah. So it's it's sort of funny to think that now – they would be in a better position to do that um, because of where both guys are, because of where Horford is as a player and where he's kind of taken, not to say he wasn't like a good, like, you know, he didn't like fill a role before, but like now I feel like he's really embraced the idea of a role and and B just become such a better passer, such a better scorer, um, such a better overall player that, yeah, I, I think now uh, they actually could have made it work. And not only that, you don't have Ben Simmons anymore. Uh, so yeah. with all those things, they might have actually been able they would they would be in a better position now to make it work. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, check out uh his five takeaways from the Daryl Morey um press conference from yesterday. He's got a really good long form on it over at LibertyBallers.com and he was kind enough, of course, to join us here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Paul. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you got it, Mike. Paul was struggling through some of that conversation, but it was a good one, and uh we'll have more on the Sixers. This offseason, you know, 
uh, the other day. You know who broke the no- news to me about Doc Rivers? Who's that? My girlfriend. She texted me, said, Doc Rivers, out. I was in here, like, doing some work. I was, like, doing production stuff. So I wasn't, like, paying attention to what was going on. And she messaged me, and I saw it come across my phone. Doc Rivers, out. And I was like, all right, this is going to be an interesting off season." She sounds like a keeper. <laughs> well, she's a big Sixers fan. She likes the Sixers. She's a big Jimmy Butler fan, by the way. Jimmy Buckets, her favorite player. He's one of my top fives. They won last night, too. They did him because Jimmy Butler was awesome. Unlike in Game Seven for the Sixers against the Raptors, when he wasn't awesome. Come on, Jimmy! <laughs> Sports Pass Live, ninety-seven-three ESPN. Now back to the. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bash on 97.3 ESPN. If you're listening, whoa. 20 minutes to the top, game night tonight. We've got Lakers, Warriors. Some thoughts on that game for you. 97.3 ESPN's coverage tonight begins at 8 o'clock of the Western Conference Finals. It'll be another night, you know. Last night, this series is brutal. One night, you're complaining that we had Jimmy Butler. Then the next night, you watch Jokic score all over the place. And you're like, oh, that's what a... Dude, got to have context to these things. You just can't start spouting off. Jokic is, uh, what's that? People love to spout off. I know. Everybody likes to live in the moment. And it's like, Jokic is going to dominate this series. The Lakers have no size. Yeah. Uh, they have no answer for Jokic. They just don't have a center on the roster. They have a team with no center. How do you have a team with no center on it? Not one guy is a center. I mean, Anthony Davis is not a center. No. He has not. no interest in playing that position. He certainly doesn't want to defend Jokic backing him down from the three the three point line. Uh so they just don't have anybody like they put Hachimura on him the other night. I guess they're gonna try that again, I would imagine, right? That's the working theory that you know Hachimura at least is an is an active defender and he can you know make things complicated. But Hachimura's like six seven. I mean he's got no shot. Come on. He did an alright job. He yeah, did an alright job, but I'm saying like now you can't one on one that's another thing. You try to one-on-one Embiid, he would have pounded you. The problem is they didn't double him. They tripled him and quadrupled him. They're not quadrupling Jokic. No. We're all acting like Jokic. And look, Jokic is great. When I say my top five players, Jimmy Butler is definitively in the five. Used to be Kevin Durant. I love him as a player. He's just a I, – I've lost interest in Durant because I just don't like him off the court. Gotcha. It's weak sauce with like – the whole Golden State thing rubbed me the wrong way. But as a player, I, I love Durant watching him play. He's awesome. Um, Dame Lillard, big fan of Dame. I don't get to see him enough. He's, he, you know, being out west. Uh, there's a lot of young players now that I'm kind of like, I like Booker a lot. Um, the turnover in the league is kind of weird right now. But Butler would definitely be in my five. I mean, Bede's definitely in my five. I love watching him Bede play. I said, I'll, I'll win nine games again next year if I can get him beat again. 
Now, you might say, well, he can't win the big game. Listen, it's disappointing. Can he win the big game? I I believe that Embiid still ha- – I've seen him play well in a game seven. Right. It's not like I haven't seen him play well. But Denver won game one. They had a great first half in that game. And I was – you know, the Lakers come back in that game. And then Jokic hits those free throws, kind of seals the deal. But think about this. You know – Denver is in a situation here where they've never won a conference finals. So you got that up against them. They've won this game. These games are going to get tighter and tighter for them now, I think. For the Lakers, they're a team that's all they've done. They've won 18 playoff series after losing game one. It's the most all time. So they're in a situation where they should feel pretty comfortable. But Denver wins game one. They are 7-0 and at home in the playoffs. So if they win this game tonight, they are that much closer to the closeout situation, and we'll see, you know, if Jokic can close out a series and take them to the finals. And that might put him on another level. This guy's won back-to-back MVPs, but really hasn't had a lot of playoff success. Yeah, the, the thing with Jokic was, has always been that, you know, hey, he's a great regular, people, you know, he's a career like Peyton Manning. Great regular season success, hasn't done anything in the postseason. Yeah, he got hot early. If you remember, people were tweeting. I mean, he had more rebounds in the first 30 seconds than Embiid had in the first half. He had eight points, 12 rebounds, and five assists um, early in that game in the first quarter. He had 12 rebounds in the first quarter. That shows you how little size uh, the, the Lakers have. I mean, people are acting like Jokic. And look, I'm not taking anything away from Jokic. He's awesome. But the Lakers have no size. They have no, they no interest in trying to bang down low with But the, the reason why the Hachimura switch worked was, one, because Hachimura can be a pest and be this annoying little gnat that just won't go away. And number two, don't forget, that's when they transitioned Anthony Davis to be like a, a defensive center fielder where he was just kind of like roaming around the box. Well, and I will say this. One of the big differences for Jokic, I think he's a better passer. That's definitive than Embiid. He's an elite passer, yes. But he also has better shot makers. When you double Jokic, which they don't do all that much. I mean, Jokic is one of them guys that he just kind of dribbles you to sleep and then he waits for the sag. And as soon as he sees it, he's very good at witnessing, you know, when that defender kind of sags off this man. And they have shot man. I mean, Murray, I love Murray. He would be a guy that's not in my top five, but I really like Jamal Murray. It's a shame he got hurt last year. Murray is a lot of fun to watch. Well, he had 31 points, 12 of 20 shooting, and you get a guy like that that can hit for 31 on a nightly basis. I mean, he is tremendous. The Sixers don't – I mean, I guess Harden, when he's going, can give you 31, but not not any – like Murray can. Murray's a catch-and-shoot three guy. Harden is not a catch-and-shoot three guy. Harden is – Dribble between the legs, dribble between the legs, dribble, 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 dribble. You know, I mean, Murray catch and shoot, bang, right in your face. So I take Murray over Harden, bang, easy at this stage. So finish out the five, you said. You had your five, so it's Butler, who, Butler, Embiid, who are the other three? I'd be making it up on the fly because I, I don't know that I definitive, but my, I would definitely say Embiid and Butler are in there. Okay. Um, Who's the other guy I meant? I had Durant in there, but I'm kind of off on Durant. Let me, um, I kind of like, um, uh, let's see. Butler, Embiid, I would go with. You like Steph? 
You enjoy watching stuff? Eh, I wouldn't say he's in my five. Do you enjoy watching LeBron? You know what? It's like I have this bitterness towards Steph for ruining the game. <laughs> because of all the threes? Yeah. I mean, he just ruined. Oh, I like De'Aaron Fox. Fox okay. is a guy I like. In the last couple of years, I re- oh, Dame Lillard would be in there. I like Dame. I like Fox. And the other guy would be, I'm trying to like, you know, quickly zip through the teams in my head. Um, I do like, um, Kawhi, but he just doesn't play enough anymore. Kawhi's never healthy. He's never healthy. So I don't get to, you know, it's like he's kind of fallen out of my, my thing. I, 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 I kind of, these playoffs have started to like watching Brunson. Just a gritty, tough guy, hits tough shots. Fun guy to watch, Brunson is. Um, I like Murray, but he's not in my five. Maybe he is in my five. I don't know. I can't come if I can't come up with some other guys. Maybe he is in my five. No, Booker. <laughs> Devin Booker was the other Devin guy. Booker. Yeah, Booker. I like Booker a lot. I'll give you my five real quick. I love watching Giannis. Is my favorite player to watch in the league. See, I don't. I mean, I like Giannis as a player. I don't like you know he just barrels through people. I love it though because he's he's a force of nature. And he's so freakishly talented. He actually does some of those passes that Jokic does, but Giannis doesn't get the attention for it because he's Giannis and people take him for granted. My number two guy is Jimmy Butler. I love Jimmy Butler. I love his competitiveness. My number three is a guy you didn't mention. I love watching Anthony Edwards. That guy is special. Number four. I'll tell you, Anthony Edwards would be growing on my list. Anthony Edwards reminds me of Butler when he was with the Bulls. To me, Edwards reminds me a little of Dwayne Wade. Okay. My number four is Dame Lillard. We mentioned him earlier. I I just think that when Dame Lillard's on television, you gotta you gotta watch. He's that kind of attraction for me. The way he plays the game, and I would have to say that my number five guy. Yeah, I, I just I took zero win on one guy. I mean, I'll go and. Because he is special. Oh, there's nobody, there's nobody like Embiid in the league. He, I mean, you would say, well, why not Jokic? I can put him in. I mean, I like, I like watching Jokic. I, I love his game. I guess he doesn't play defense. I, I don't hate Jokic. I just think that his lack of interest in playing defense. Oh, uh, hold on, I forgot Luca. Luca is fun. Luca's the man. I watch Luca all the time. He is creative. He's crafty. He's fun. Forgot about Luca. The only problem with Luca is he complains all the time. Everybody does. Yeah, but I feel like he's like one of the top three complainers. You got like, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell's fun. Oh, De'Aaron Fox, I had in there. You had De'Aaron Fox when you. Oh, Shea Gilgis. SGA. Let me tell you, my new favorite team is going to be Oklahoma City. <laughs> that team's going to win like ten championships. You're going to dump the Sixers and become a uh, okay. Well, they're fan? the West Coast Sixers. <laughs> they just did it way better. I said to some guy today, so you don't like what the Sixers did. Well, they haven't won anything. I said, so let me get this straight. If they did win something, you would say you would have been supportive of what they did. Right? Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Now, back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, that'll be, do it for me. Uh, a couple do you remembers before we get out of here tonight. You ready for these? Are you ready for these do you remembers? Uh, what's today? May 18th. Ready? Yeah, the day after my birthday. Let's go. Happy birthday. You know, Rothstein's birthday is today. Is it really? Yep. Oh, I got to push my birthday. Uh, Clippers 2009 with the first pick. In the NBA draft, the L.A. Clippers select. Do you remember? I remember a little bit. <laughs> so do you don't have an answer? No, I don't have Michael Olawa Candy. The Candyman. Oh, yes. 2009. On this day, 2004, Randy Johnson threw a perfect game. Age 40, oldest pitcher ever. That I do remember. On this day, Braves, 97... Wayne Gretzky scored his 10th playoff hat trick against the Flyers in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Semis. Of course he did. Rangers win 5-4. Do you remember Spencer Turnbull threw a no-hitter? He beat the Mariners 5-0. He struck out 9. It was the Tigers' first no-hitter since 2011. This happened on this day in 2021. I like it. The Candyman, Michael Olokan. So you get the first pick of the draft, but if you mess it up, it sets you back. The Candyman, Michael Olokan. You remember what college he went to? This is an easy one. Did he go to like some weird name, like Pacific or something? There you go, Pacific. I think you looked that one up. Actually, I'm looking at Pacific. We talked about off the. All right, that's uh, that's it for me. I'm back tomorrow for a happy hour Friday. We got tickets to give away for tomorrow's happy hour Friday as well. We'll have details tomorrow. Let's go. Right here on the Sports Bash. Game night's up next, followed by the Western Conference Finals tonight, 8 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.